Order like a saint at Raising Cane's with tailgates of hand-battered chicken fingers and cane sauce and jugs of freshly made tea and lemonade. You can guarantee victory for every game day meal. Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love. (laughs) Official chicken finger of the Saints. Let's open up the radio side so that way Bill WD-40 can get his butt on in there and start lubing us up for tonight's show. Sabrina, good to see you again. And who else do we have here? Uh, Robert Lamoth, Christine Lynn, Renee Cruz, and who else is here? Mm, scrolling on down and running out of time, just like normal. Uh, Derek Galloway, thank you for joining us. Sweet Robbie G and Nina Williams, thank you for coming on in. Travis DeLuca, nice to see you. And Overbuild Automotive, Kathy Evans, good to have you both here. And we got 19 seconds. Can we do this? Can we do this? I don't know. Uh, right. Um, probably not. And sorry, it's Australia, not New Zealand for, for Sally. All right. Horns up. Let's rock. the mountains of central british columbia to you listening around the world this my friends is spaced out radio i am your host dave scott sitting in the captain's chair of sor headquarters we welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around north america digitally on odyssey radio talk stream live at kpnl all of our archives are free join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio do old davy the favor hit that subscribe button you can follow us on twitter at spaced out radio instagram at spaced out radio show and join our space travelers club on patreon our website spacedoutradio.com we have a plethora of features for you rock out to bumblefoot read the news wire check out our swag as well tonight's show is brought to you by chive charities Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. We have a power show of information tonight. Former United States Army Major Paul H. Smith is with us to talk about remote viewing, Project Stargate, and much, much more. Then in hour number three, Steve Stockton returns with some more weird stories from Among the Missing. Then little Timmy Senor will round things out with the UFO report. Paul H. Smith, former U.S. Army major, is the author of Reading the Enemy's Mind Inside Stargate, America's Psychic Espionage Program, and The Essential Guide to Remote Viewing. As a seven-year veteran of the government's psychic espionage effort, Paul was originally assigned to the Army's Center Lane Remote Viewing Program in 1983. He later transitioned with the program to the Defense Intelligence Agency in early 1986. He was transferred out of the program in 1990 to participate in Desert Storm as a tactical intelligence officer with the 101st Airborne Division. Yeah, this guy's a hero, man. During his years with what ultimately came to be known as the Stargate program, Paul served concurrently as the operational remote viewer, training instructor, unit historian, recruiting officer, 
and security officer. What, how many hats does this guy wear? Directly trained in by the creators of remote viewing, Ingo Swan and Dr. Hal Putoff of SRI International. He was later the main author of the DIA coordinate remote viewing manual and was primary theory instructor for the unit, being involved in the training of other well-known remote viewers like Lynn Buchanan, Mel Riney, and Dave Morehouse. And now... We got him on Spaced Out Radio tonight, and this is impressive. It, it is so impressive. First off, Mr. Paul H. Smith, thank you so much for your service. We very much appreciate all our veterans around here, so thank you so much for what you did. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Um, I should say I, I get embarrassed when I, I'm thanked for my service because I had so darn much fun while I was doing it. <laughs> well, I won't say it was fun all the time. Desert Storm was a bit miserable, but... But nonetheless, it was a, it was a, a very interesting, informative experience even then. So, um, you know, you start off. I'm beginning to think maybe if you're going to say that I can't seem to keep a job with all the listings of the things you said I'd done, uh, that's all true. I have sort of had to do them all at the same time, though. So that was a bit of a challenge. You know, when you're that good, they want you to do more, but the paycheck always seems to stay the same, though, right? It does. It does. When you started your military career, did you ever think that it would go down the path that it did with remote viewing? <laughs> I had no idea what was in store for me. I mean, I had just signed on to be an Arabic linguist. Um, I was at Brigham Young University, recently married. Uh, I was making $2.50 an hour doing botanic- botanical illustration for the uh, the botany department there. And... Uh, and I really wanted to get into Middle Eastern Studies. The problem was that BYU at the time didn't have a Middle Eastern Studies program. <laughs> they got quite a good one today, but but back then they didn't. And uh, they did have Hebrew, offer Hebrew courses. I'd taken all those, but I wanted to learn Arabic. And so my then wife said, well, the Army will pay you to learn Arabic. And I thought, well, let's see, I'm making two fifty an hour. Um, I'd have to pay to learn it from a university. I'll give it a try. <laughs> I had no clue where things would lead from there. How long did you serve for? 20 years. I, I had I retired at 20 years. Wow. I mean, you look back on those 20 years. I mean, I could just imagine what that would be like, everything you've seen around the world, never mind the remote viewing, but what you've seen around the world, what, you know, from hot spots to trying to cool temperatures down in other areas, and then the remote viewing happened. How did you get involved with that? Well, I had uh, had pretty much conventional Army uh, career up to that point. I uh, I was enlisted for three years, and then I decided to go to officer candidate school. Uh, I did learn Arabic. They sent me to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, where I mostly washed Jeeps and changed oil and gamma goats. And uh, I, I'd signed on for more than that. So ultimately, I uh, went to officer candidate school and, and became a lieutenant, which is the one person in the entire army that salutes everybody <laughs> or either, either well, has to either return salutes or initiate salutes. And uh, I'll tell you, your arm can get pretty tired if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, so, uh, but, you know, I went uh, as an officer. My first assignment was uh, I spent three years with the Special Forces Unit in Germany, uh, which was awesome. Um, I got to jump out of airplanes. Uh, I like to joke that all of my jo- jumps were night jumps, even when I did them in the day, because I did them with my eyes closed. <laughs> but anyway, uh, 
and I came back and went through school and uh, through another school officer. So the advanced office, uh, advanced military intelligence officer school in Arizona and got tr- sent to Fort Meade, I'm at Fort Meade, Maryland, doing working as a Mideast analyst, um, kind of an administrative job. And it was kind of tedious. And three months into my time here, I get a knock on my door. And it was uh, my my next door neighbor. We were in a row of military housing townhouses, and so we, I shared a wall with him. His name was Fred Outwater. We call him Skip today. And uh, my across the street neighbor, Tom McNair. And these guys were a little odd. Uh, neither one of them wore a uniform, but they lived in military housing, and their door said Captain Atwater and Captain McNair. Uh, Tom had a full beard, and he walked around with button collar shirts and and jeans and. Uh, and uh, I thought they must be some kind of human intelligence people. And we call human, the ones who, who do the actual interact with real spies on the ground and stuff. And, uh, and they said, no, we don't do that. I said, well, what do you do? And they said, we can't tell you. And so, okay, well, well, they come and knock on my door and they say, Paul, we think you might be good at what we do. I said, well, can you tell me now what that is? They said, nope. <laughs> how, how am I going to know whether I could be good at it or not? They said, well, we'll give you some tests. And I took the tests, and they were mostly conventional psychology tests. They were looking to make sure I fit the profile of what they had found to be a successful remote viewer at the time. And then they read me onto this program. Uh, I like to say when I tell this story that it was like my Men in Black moment. So, you know, Tommy Lee Jones is reading on Will Smith to the Men in Black program, and he essentially says, you have to sever all human uh, connections. You have to have your fingerprints erased. I, I can't remember if that's really part of it, but along those lines, you know, and all these things you're supposed to do. And, and the, the read-on that they gave me was more draconian than I had even for top-secret special compartment intelligence. It had even more things I couldn't say or do. In fact, I even had to pretend I wasn't in the Army to anybody who, uh, who didn't already know I was in. And so I'm thinking, whoa, what the heck is this all about? And then Tom says, okay, now that you've signed these, these indoctrination documents, here's essentially a, a, a glorified non-disclosure agreement is what it amounts to, really. He said, our mission here is to collect intelligence against uh, foreign threats using a parapsychology discipline called remote viewing. Uh, we're essentially inviting you to volunteer to become a psychic spy. And I thought, that is awesome. <laughs> so no Tom kidding. says... Uh, you don't have to tell me right now whether you got 24 hours to decide. And I said, I don't need 24 hours. I absolutely want to do this. But what he doesn't know is that as he's talking about this, my brain is going, and all this is true. When I was a kid, I was fascinated by ESP stories and science fiction and fantasy. Um, and uh, I had even been involved in a science fair project in junior high testing ESP that had totally failed. So at that point, I'd become a bit of a skeptic, um, and I thought, oh, it's fun stuff to think about, but it must not really be real. Well, now here's this guy with a beard right, telling me that there's a line item in the federal budget that pays for a program that teaches people how to, how to be psychic. And my brain says, you had better not turn this down. I absolutely wanted to do it. And he was kind of shocked by that, I think, because I don't think they'd had people react quite that enthusiastically in the past. All of them had kind of been blindsided uh, by it and, and hadn't really had the kind of preparation I'd had such as it was. I got to ask you, I mean, what was the testing like? What did they have you doing? 
So in the testing or in in the program? To test you to see if you were oh. good enough for the program. Well, they had um, they had uh, a fair amount of research that suggested the kind of person that would be successful as a remote viewer. Most, of course, mostly, of course, they evaluated and as, assessed successful remote viewers, and then they went looking for people like that. And they were more interested in personality, uh, personality, you know, and psychological profiles, because they figured if if this person is enough like in psychology and, and personality, like other remote viewers, successful remote viewers, then their their possibility of being good is much higher. Now, there, there was also a few other criteria they're looking for. So one thing is, well, the, first of all, you had to be accomplished in your military career. You had to be successful. Your report guards had to be good. You had to show that you were competent in just your regular military intelligence activities. Uh, they were looking for people above average in intelligence. And I know people will make a joke about this, but generally speaking, that's true of not just um, military intelligence personnel, but it's actually true, especially in the officer corps in the entire military, even back then. Um, now, I'm not saying you know we're brilliant or anything like that, but just tend to be above average uh, in intelligence. Uh, which turns out to be a very valuable trait when you're trying to survive on the battlefield, as you can imagine. Um, and they were all, then the final thing they're looking for is an officer who was involved in the creative pursuit, like studio art or musical performance or creative writing, uh, and also had language uh, facility. Um, even though there are a lot of people who do, who do languages and military intelligence. Um, it still was an indicator of potential success here. Well, they discovered that I uh, had majored in art in college and, and worked as an illustrator for a while and did paintings and stuff, that I uh, had been playing guitar for about 20 years by that point, that I uh, I like to uh, write short stories and send them off and get them rejected by, by short story publishers, and that I was fluent in German and had, was, had competence at the time in Arabic and Hebrew. And so it's kind of like they said, well, he may not work out, but we can't not try him. And so they gave me the opportunity, and they were they were pleased with what they got. You know, I I never say that I'm the best remote viewer ever because I don't think that's I don't think that's possible to know to begin with. But I was certainly good enough that uh, I was able to uh, satisfy the needs of the program. When they tell you that, hey, we are actually conducting psychic espionage around the world, whether it's the Kremlin, whether it's North Korea, or inside the the forbidden temples of China, I mean, what is that like when all of a sudden you've never, maybe never been there before, you've only looked at the buildings through pictures, and now you mm-hmm. have to pick out you know, documents and, and conversations of what is going on within these buildings. I mean, how does this set up? I'm not even sure what that question meant, but I'll tell you what, I, I'll, I'll answer the way I think you meant it. Um, so first off, it's a real ride, I have to tell you. It it was awesome. My first few few days and months and weeks and months as a, as a remote viewer and remote viewer trainee, it was just like, I've died and gone to heaven. This is awesome. Now, of course, I always had a lack of confidence, as, as most people do when they first start out, particularly when my job was in the balance here, right? This is something that I was afraid if I screwed up, they'd fire me and send me off to an infantry unit somewhere. Um, but uh, 
but you you don't actually know. And in fact, it's still true. You remote viewing isn't a hundred percent activity. You'll, there there are people out there who tell you that. Even some of my former colleagues who should know better. It's not a hundred percent activity. <clears throat> so that at any given time, uh, you may blow a session, even no matter how good you are. In fact, Joe McMonigle, who is arguably the best remote viewer out there today, um, he he messes sessions up. He fails on some of them, and he admits that candidly. The thing is, when he's when he's on, it's scary good. You know, when when he's successful in a session, it's scary good. But you miss some of them, and so here I am, and I miss one, and I think, oh no, they're gonna they're gonna fire me. And then I get one that works, and then I get another one that works, and then I miss one, and I I felt a little bit less like they were going to fire me because I was getting a a fairly decent balance of successful sessions. And then ultimately, I start working start working real world sessions, and uh, and at that point you don't know how well you did most of the time for a long time, but uh, the things I did find out about we did quite well on. So I am absolutely convinced I didn't answer the question you asked, but I answered some question or other. Well, I I guess what I was trying to get at is, you know, what is it like when they throw you a target at, let's just say they they want you to check out a meeting inside the Kremlin or or what's being discussed or, or the books that are on someone's desk or whatever. I'm not sure how it works, but how how did, was that put together when they would put an assignment in front of you? So the scary thing about this for some folks is you have no idea what target it is they want you to address. Uh, viewers are blind to the target. Usually they just give you a number. Um, and the number stands for the target, but it didn't tell you anything consciously about the target. So the, the example I like to use is 8675309. Okay. Let's say they give you a number 8675309 and and just in practical terms, let's say it's a training target and the target is the Eiffel Tower. They don't tell you that it's the Eiffel Tower. They give you 8675309. And then your subconscious has to go out into the universe, find out what that number is linked to, and then guide you in to remote view the Eiffel Tower. Um, and you may never become completely aware that the target is the Eiffel Tower. But if you're good, well-trained, and luck is with you that day, you can actually uh, describe it in very good terms, perceptually, without your senses ever actually in a, being involved. And that's, what, of course, what extrasensory perception means. It means that you have perceptions, but those perceptions come into your mind without ever going through your sensory apparatus. And so it's outside your senses, which, of course, is, uh, according to science, is impossible. But it, is, it isn't because it works. Have you ever combined remote viewing with astral travel? No. Um, people ask if they're the same thing. In fact, I, I regularly run into people say, well, remote viewing is just out-of-body experience or astral travel by another name. Uh, and in fact, it is not. It is significantly different. Now, they may be related. They may be, I think, I believe, and so did Ingo Swan, the guy who originally created remote viewing and named it. Um, I agree with him on this, but I sort of believe it from my own experience, that there's this underlying mechanism that makes all psychic behavior possible. And all we're doing when we remote view 
or uh, use clairvoyance or scry or heck, I don't know, even channeling, whoever, all of those various things, um, is, is accessing that uh, underlying capability and just applying it in different ways. It's like it holds a different, like a Swiss Army knife, right? One, one, one mechanism, say remote viewing, is the knife blade. Another one is maybe the scissors. You know, maybe clairvoyance is the scissors. Maybe, uh, maybe the the uh, the all. No, well, let's use a better one. The corkscrew is uh, is I don't know channeling, whatever, right? And, um, it, it's it's all probably comes from the same ability, but it's just different ways of of employing it. I guess, yeah, that's kind of what I, I think about it anyway. Do you think it's dangerous to combine the two, or to try and combine remote Astro, viewing okay. and astral? So I, I answered half of the question I want, I want to answer there. So, but but they are different, and you can't do both of them at the same time because they are different enough that you can't. Right? Uh, they might be on the same spectrum. So I'm going to kind of lump astral travel and and out of body experience together because in many respects they're similar. Right? So they may be on one end of a spectrum and then remote viewing is on the other end. Okay. So um, the difference is this. So in astral travel or OBE, you really feel like yourself in some way, your consciousness, whatever, some aspect yourself goes outside of your body and goes to another location or does, you know, perceives things out there. Remote viewing, you're totally aware that you're sitting at a table with a stack of paper and a pen if you have a monitor, somebody's at the other end of the table and that you're proceeding to perceive and describe this thing, uh, the target, whatever it might be. Uh, and yet you are fully aware of being here. It isn't like some of you, go, some part of you goes out. It's not like that at all. And then there's two other really critical differences here uh, in terms of application. So remember this was meant originally, well, when it was first developed, it was just meant a way of being psychic. But then, then it got developed fully in the military. It's game day at Raising Cane's. If you want to order like a saint, it's the action off the field you need to focus on. The only play you're running is chicken. So what combo are you picking? Make it a perfect season. We've got tailgates of hand-battered, cooked-to-order chicken fingers and cane sauce and jugs of freshly made tea and lemonade, all available to order online or on our app. This season is about to be unbeatable. Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love. <laughs> Official chicken finger of the Saints. Sunbelt Federal Credit Union has special deals on certificates of deposit. For 10 months, you could get a return of 5.27% annual percentage yield. And Sunbelt offers an amazing 5.33% annual percentage yield for 18 months. Visit a Sunbelt Federal Credit Union location today or learn more at sunbeltfcu.org. That's sunbeltfcu.org. $500 minimum deposit. SFCU is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. And the goal was to bring back information uh, from foreign or, or at least denied locations or donate, uh, you know, shielded rooms, whatever, that could be useful. So in remote viewing, you actually are able to record that real time. You sketch, you verbalize, you write, you do all that stuff as information come in. It's like you're a, like you're a conduit, uh, sort of like a vacuum cleaner hose. It goes out to the target and goes... <laughs> and sucks up all the information and brings it back. Okay. Now, out-of-body astral projection doesn't work like that. In OBAP, uh, shall we say, um, you, you, whatever that means, goes to some place and experiences things and then ultimately comes back 
into the body. And at that point, then you download the information. And the problem, of course, is you're, you're dependent on uh, whatever perceptions and things you get. It isn't directed. Uh, you, the information you record is stuff you have to remember. It's not stuff you're doing real time. You have to remember and you have to write it down after the fact. And the other thing, I know there's people who claim they can do this, but generally speaking, it seems that most OBE AP experiences are random. You don't go where you want to go. You go wherever you end up. And see, that doesn't work in an intelligence setting because they need you to go where they know the intelligence is that they need to collect. Um, and so I think you can start to see how much different these two things are. Uh, if folks want to go to my um, my blog, it's on my website, rviewer.com, and you go to blog, and there's a drop-down menu. That, and, and in there is an article I, I call Out of Body or Out of Your Mind. <laughs> okay, And and it, it goes into more detail from, than what I'm saying here. So you, you may find that interesting. But um, but from an intelligence perspective, it's much more useful to go there. Now, uh, to, to, to use remote viewing than it is to do OBEAP. Now, here's an interesting thing. Uh, I've used the military description, military terms, military goals, intelligence collection, all that stuff. But the fact is, this isn't just a military skill. In fact, it isn't even originally an, a military skill. It's like like a handheld calculator that you issue to a soldier, but you bought from the local uh, electronics store. Right? right. I'm going to get you to hold you on right there, Mr. Paul H. Smith, because we are going to go to break here at the bottom of the hour, remote viewing, Project Stargate, and more with former United States Army Major Paul H. Smith right here on Spaced Out Radio. We continue right after this. Stay tuned. All right, sir, we are clear. And just remember, our, our YouTube audience can hear us. We want to say okay. hi to sweet Donna Spencer and the lovely and talented Kim Jellen, who is probably brushing and flossing her teeth right now. I'm probably pretty accurate on that. That's my remote viewing right now. We'll see if I'm accurate on that. I floss beforehand. <laughs> I floss after. I'm an after guy. Okay, well, you're also a bit earlier in your day than I am. It's going to be midnight when I get done. Yeah, well. Oh no, but you have a show later on, don't you? I, I, mean, you I continue. I continue that. for three hours. You, yeah. we got you for the first two. And... Okay, well, well, good. I'm glad I'm not you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, interesting. Um, I hope I'm not blabbing on too much. No, but but that was a fast first half hour. You have to admit. Yeah. Well, you were you promised me a quick time, okay? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, ninety minutes will feel like fifteen. How about that? Okay, that's good. So then two what I so two hours nominally would then feel like seventeen or eighteen, right? Yeah, I pretty, don't know. My math pretty much kind of twenty limited. somewhere yeah. like that, somewhere yeah. like that. So, okay, good. Yeah, I, I am so enjoying this right now. Thank you oh, for good. doing this. You know, I would feel so bad if you were bored. Oh, no, not on this topic. Not <laughs> not on this topic. I do have a... Before we get into the whole Project Stargate aspect and everything, I, I do have a question for you that I, I want to ask, because I'm this one I'm very curious about. But so I'll, so I'll, do you want to ask it now? No, I'm going to wait on that. 
Okay, I'm going to wait. Um, but we can teach them, right? We can tell them what the question is, and we'll just get the answer. Yes. Is that it? The answer is 42. 42. Oh, yes. The ultimate question answer. And we use it a lot. I mean, like every answer in the uh, military logistics course is 42 trucks. So I never knew that. Weird. Yeah, I didn't either until I had a block on military logistics. So anytime somebody says, well, how do you get a, a division move from one place to another? You just say 42 trucks. They just have to make a lot of trips. <laughs> okay, uh, that's just silly military humor. But anyway. Javier, how you doing, buddy? The old cryptid 559er there. And King of Hueco Mundo, welcome back. It's been a while since we had you here, uh, but we're glad you're back, my man. Newfi, glad to see you back. And who else is joining us tonight? Uh, straight to Lumbridge. Good morning to you over in the UK. And yeah, all the early morning risers from the UK are coming in now as they get ready for work. So, Doesn't this get in the way of getting ready for work? Uh, sometimes it does. We've had a few people running late because they're caught into the show. They're having way too much fun, way too much fun and not paying attention to duties, right? Oh, well, you know, they just tell their boss to tune in. So, Dave, um, your your listeners have probably heard this before. What's your background? In, in radio? Yeah, radio. How did you get into this topic? Uh, area? How did, how did I got know? into it because I started having, well, I could tell you on, on we got about two minutes here. On December 13th, 2011, at 7.45 p.m., I saw the angel of death in my mother's eyes. Wow. And two hours later, I channeled him. And I didn't know what channeling was. I didn't know anything about it. And he came to me and told me how to keep my mom alive. And mm. my mom passed away earlier this year. So I got almost 12 more years with mom. And after that happened, within days of that happening, uh, it turned my life upside down. Within two days of that, uh, everyone in my house was seeing ghosts and hearing ghosts. Uh, then the premonitions started, and then I met a gentleman named Pascal, who's a real guru of mine. He might even be listening in tonight. I'm not sure. Uh, but he... Uh, I met him, and he basically said to me, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? And my curiosity said all the way. And oh. it, we started practicing channeling more and um, doing uh, certain tests on communication with the other side. And then the, the Bigfoot came. And uh, then uh, after that, he said, I'm told uh, my guides are telling me that I need to concentrate you on ETs. And the UFOs and the aliens came. And having a background in radio, uh, this is how I got going. Is I needed answers. I couldn't find them on Google or YouTube. I'll finish up later. Here we go. Okay.
Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for tuning us in. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. I want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can now join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Here we go, second half hour, talking remote viewing tonight. Our guest, Mr. Paul H. Smith, formerly of Project Stargate with the United States Army, where he ended his 20-year career as a major. Thank you so much, Mr. Smith. Appreciate you being here. I'm having a great time. I, I want to comment on a comment that's on the screen right now. Apparently, Kim Jellen said that your background is tidy, right? I asked the question about your background during the intermission there. And you notice my background isn't. I like to say I work in an explosion in a paper factory. Oh, <laughs> this is just what I show the camera. You know, uh-huh. this is just what I show the camera. For well, our- as you can see, I, I make no pretenses about mine. <laughs> so... Um, another thing I wanted, I wanted to just very quickly finish the soundbite on the last thing I said, sure. and that is I want people to understand just because the military used this, it doesn't mean it's a military thing. It, it's, it's available to anybody who wants to learn it, which of course I teach people that, but, but other people do too. And, uh, the thing about remote viewing is once you learn how to do it, it's very empowering and, uh, and it, and it has plenty of civilian uses and you don't even have to use it for anything practical at all. So anyway, uh, that, that my little uh, soapbox I jumped up on there for a minute. Achieve your financial goals with Sunbelt Federal Credit Union. With just a $500 minimum deposit, you can access high-yield certificates. 10 months with 5.27% annual percentage yield or 18 months with 5.33% annual percentage yield. Visit your nearest Sunbelt Federal Credit Union location and learn more at sunbeltfcu.org. That's sunbeltfcu.org. SFCU is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Hear that? That's the sound of your money slacking. Make it work harder for you at Sunbelt Federal Credit Union. Featuring high-yield certificates of deposit with just a $500 minimum deposit. Like 10 months with 5.27% annual percentage yield. And 18 months with 5.33% annual percentage yield. Visit your nearest Sunbelt branch or go to sunbeltfcu.org. SFCU is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Have you ever been caught while remote viewing? Well, I've had people walk in on me, but I don't think that's what you mean. No, that's not what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Only once, maybe. You'll hear people out there in the remote viewing community talk about, oh, I was seen or perceived by somebody at the target or something at the target. I've been observed. I know they knew I was there. It's very hard to tell whether that's real or whether that's imagination. One of the problems with remote viewing so when people ask me what I teach people with remote viewing, um, you'll see I, I'll wind into the, the question here. Saying, um, I say I teach them three things. First, I teach them what the signal is like that you're getting, the signal with information. I teach them what the mental noise is like 
that is always going on and gets in the way of the signal. And I teach them how to tell the difference. Okay. Now, of course, as they say, the devil is in the details. It's easy to say that, but remote viewing, learning how to do it very well, is a very intense and sometimes long-term process uh, because learning those three things is the biggest challenge. Okay. So, um, and you know what? I said I was spiling around your question, and now I've got stuck. Okay. Tell me what you said again. What What is it? Well, what, had I'm you ever been board? caught remote viewing? Oh, yes. Good. Yes. So the problem with remote viewing is there is this imaginative component of the mental noise. And it can be really tricky to sort that out. And so it's quite possible to convince yourself that you are being perceived, perceived by something or someone at the target when you really aren't. Okay. Now, does that mean you can't be? And, at, uh, you know, before I would say no, but I had an experience in which I'm pretty sure something at the target actually was aware of me being aware of it. Okay. Now, can I prove it? No. Am I going to say I'm absolutely sure it happened? Well, I'm sure it happened whether my interpretation is true or not. I don't, I'm not sure of that. But this seemed so real and it was the only time it ever happened that I, I have to say the answer to that question might be yes. I'll tell you about the event here in a second. The question might be, the answer might be yes, but I can't be absolutely sure. Okay, so here's the answer to the question. Um, I was actually remote viewing the moon. So I mentioned Ingo Swan before. I'm guessing a lot of people in the audience probably have heard his name, but I'm guessing a lot of others haven't. But Ingo, uh, once long after all my, oh, my microphone is slipping off. Sorry, guys. How's that for breaking the suspense? Anyway, so um, <laughs> it's chasing me. Um, so uh, after we were done with training, I was still in the Army, but towards the end, Ingo was no longer affiliated with SRI International. Uh, Hal put off had long ago left the program. Uh Ingo started using me on some of the projects that people asked him to do. And one of them was remote view the dark side of the moon, specifically a location that seemed to have some kind of interest or something unusual about it. Now, I didn't know the target was the moon. Again, remote viewers have to be blind to the target. But they did use what you would call geographical coordinates if, if you were doing them on the Earth. They were lunar coordinates, but I didn't know they were lunar coordinates. And in the process of... of uh, perceiving what was there, I realized first off, hey, there's no air here. You can't breathe here. What the heck have I got myself into? And then I noticed these really sharply formed mountains and and valleys, if you will. I didn't identify them as craters quite yet. And uh, and then I, I uh, perceived what seemed to be this massive underground cavern that actually had stuff going on in it. And one of the things was this as I now know, uh, interpreted anyway, as a space vehicle that was emerging, it looked a bit like a manta ray. Um, and I did a sketch of it, which I don't have handy, or I'd hold up the camera. Um, and it seemed to be part biological and part technological. Now, you have to understand, of course, you know, Battlestar Galactica, the second iteration, in that they have these uh, quasi-biological ships that are both mechanical and, and technical and, and biological. And I think Stargate Atlantis had some of those too. Uh, anyway, these are all science fiction ideas about this. But my lunar session was years before those things came out. 
And so this was not something that I could have seen in popular culture. Um, and so I'm getting this impression of part mecha mechanical, part biological, which was really kind of surprising to me. And one thing I've learned in remote viewing, the things that surprise you are often true. Okay, not always, but often true, because things that don't surprise you can often be concocted, invented by your left brain, trying to figure out what the target is and giving you the wrong answer. But this just totally surprised me. It's not something I was expecting. And as I'm perceiving this thing, I realized it was in some way sentient. We're talking about a sentient machine, essentially. And, and this is not AI. This is biologically sentient. And in the process, I had this strong feeling that it was perceiving me at the same time and not happy about it, not happy that I was remote viewing it. Um, I also sensed, so I wasn't scared, that it, it was powerless to do anything about that because it was on to do something else. But it was not pleased that it was being spied on, if you will, by a remote viewer. So that's the only occasion when I feel like I may have been detected by at least a, a sentient entity of some sort at the target. May I ask a follow-up question, if you don't mind on that? Because well, you, you can ask all you want. I'll, we'll see if I answer it, right? Well, you mentioned the Manta Ray. Ma mantra. Manta. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yes, Manta. I'm sorry. Man you, it's getting late for me. Yeah. Was, was, the, was the Manta Ray the craft shaped like that, or did it have <laughs> a picture of a Manta Ray on it? No, it was shaped like that. Yeah, I did a sketch of it, like I said. I just don't have it handy. And, and I'll tell you the reason why I ask is Alan T. Greenfield, who wrote The Secret Cipher of the UFO Knots, he actually had reported on seeing craft with manta ray, blue manta rays painted on it. Huh. And 10 days before I found out about that, I actually had a dream one night about a UFO and lo and behold, there was a blue manta ray painted on the bottom of it. That's interesting. How many manta rays painted? Just one? Just one big one. So, okay. Because I can conceive of a row of blue manta rays. Maybe these guys had shot down some of them, the ones I, I had. You know, like the old World War II fighters with a number of planes on it. But that, that is intriguing. To paint it on the bottom. So, and of course, when you think about this, a manta ray is a, ter a terrestrial... Yes. creature, right? And so one would wonder why those would be painted on the UFO, but then that adds to the mystery. It'd be interesting to find that out. Was that the only time that you were asked to remote view anything that could be potentially conceived as extraterrestrial? No, I'd, I'd been asked a number of times. So I had uh, two projects I worked. Each project consisted of probably a number of sessions on or around about considering the same target. So I had, Ingo asked me to remote view on two lunar targets and and on uh, Roswell, which I didn't find anything unique about um, because I, I realized it was Roswell halfway through. <laughs> I said, this is Roswell. And of course, then everything I knew about Roswell got all confused and I didn't get any other data. So I did those three things. But also at Fort Meade, uh, we did a number of these. Um, so you can imagine as a remote viewer, if you can't know what the target was, somebody can slip all kinds of things over on you, right? And uh, one of those is every now and then they do, they target us on UAP, UFO, ET, off-planet kind of thing. Sometimes it's just totally innocent. Like one target we had was um, 
oh, I am blanking on the name of the space probe. We launched a probe to Mars back in the early 80s, late uh, late 70s, early 80s, something like that. Uh, anyway, so that that uh, artifact is still there, the, the probe we launched. And so that was the target we used just to see, you know, just to test. And it worked perfectly well. Uh, Tom McNear, who I mentioned before, had done a session against a... Um, against that particular thing and didn't know it was on Mars, obviously, and described it actually quite accurately. Um, he's, he's a sketch with kind of, it had legs, so it was this metal thing, a bit like the lunar lander with, uh, like, there goes my microphone again. You, you just can't get me to do these things right. I don't know what's wrong with this. It seems to have broken. All right. Okay, so, sorry, technical difficulties. I may end up having to hold it. We'll see. Um, dang it. Okay, let's try that. Nope, it's still coming after me. I'm going to have to fix this after we're done. You still, you, okay, you're, so? you're still sounding great. You're okay, still sounding good. great. And I will just kind of prop it up here so I don't fall over. Um, and so, you know, so so his sketch was, you know, completely consistent with him remote viewing this. Uh, early, um, early lunar land, uh, sorry, Martian lander kind of thing. Okay, but we also got tasks on on things, uh, some of which were credible and some of which weren't. Uh, you probably heard the name Ed Dames. Yes, uh, Ed was one of our one of our project managers and monitors, and he delighted in targeting us on whatever the latest UFO flap that he was interested in was. And so I've done rentals and forest. I've done. Um, you know, I can't even remember what they all were. And he even targeted. Achieve your financial goals with Sunbelt Federal Credit Union. With just a $500 minimum deposit, you can access high-yield certificates. 10 months with 5.27% annual percentage yield, or 18 months with 5.33% annual percentage yield. Visit your nearest Sunbelt Federal Credit Union location and learn more at sunbeltfcu.org. That's sunbeltfcu.org. SFCU is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Hey, I'm Matteo Celli. Listen to my debut album, Matteo, out everywhere now. On things that I doubt were anything to him. Like he had a target us on the Supreme Galactic Council, but he had no way of knowing there was such a thing as a Supreme Galactic Council. Um, he targeted me on one of the moons, uh, I think Titan, one of the moons of, let me think, is that Saturn? I can't T- remember Titan, anyway. Titan um, is uh, Saturn, I believe, yes. Yeah. Or yeah. Jupiter, so, I, you know, I could go through, I, there's a whole list of them. I, I went through and compiled them. Some of these I think were. were credible, particularly the ones that, uh, so Skip Atwater worked us on some too. Um, so here you are, you got getting me to talk about little aliens. I don't know any little aliens. I only know big ones. I'm just kidding. You remember early on, Never mind. Okay. If I have to explain a joke, it's not worth telling. Right. So anyway, um, Skip Atwater would work us on some and the hair and the history of some of these were, well, interestingly enough, uh, in early 84, he might have got him in '83. Hal Putoff got the JPL photographs of the, of Mars, where you know these are the ones that um, 
oh, why am I blanking on his name? Hoagland. You know, Hoagland make it, made a big deal about, but we got him very early in, in their existence and and uh, put off got him and passed him on to Skip. And Skip would run us on these occasionally to see what it came up with. In fact, when uh, there's a famous uh, removing interview with Joe McMoneagle that Skip was the monitor on, and the target was one of these uh, one of these photographs. The, the not the photograph itself, but the location depicted in the photograph. So those were interesting. But Skip had a couple of others. Uh, so. So uh, one of the earliest remote viewers in the SRI program was a guy named Pat Price. He was kind of a, he came along a little bit after Ingo Swan did. They were together there for a while, knew each other. And uh, one day Pat comes in uh, to the office and he he, he, uh, he just has some spare time on his, on his hands the night before. And he, he tells Hal Putoff, he says, you know, I wasn't doing anything. So I thought I'd remote view the alien bases on the earth. And he plops a stack of pages down where he'd done sketches and made verbal descriptions and stuff. And he said, there's four of them that I've been able to find. One of them is Mount Hayes in Alaska. One of them is Mount, I'm going to get this wrong, Pinatubo, I think, in the Pyrenees. There's one in Africa that starts with an N. And then there's Mount Zeal in Africa. And each one of these has a different purpose. The one in Mount Hayes allegedly was a repair base. Okay, so Hal gets these things. He passes on to Skip Atwater. Skip Atwater says, well, give these a try, but we don't know what they are. Well, we don't even know he's got them, right? And so he starts working us one at a time on various of these and then collecting that information and kind of storing it away to see what, what it is. And he's he's still got this, this data um, somewhere. <clears throat> I think I even have some of it. Um, I do have my sessions I did on it. And Mount Hayes is the one I did. And Mel Riley, who was another prominent viewer, I did, and we got some interesting stuff on that. Um, and I don't know how much detail to go into here. I've been on this question for a while, but oh, you um, you can keep going. We're all glued to you right okay. now. All right. Oh man, no wonder I can't move my arm. Anyway, um, so um, I'm. Uh, I'll tell you what I got, uh, and I might tell you a little bit about Mel's too that I remember. So I got that there was this cave that went back into a mountain. I had no idea this was Mount Hayes. I had no idea it was in Alaska. I had no idea it was one of Pat Price's UFO sites. So cave goes back to the mountain, and there's these, there's all this kind of stuff going on back there. It was like, um, so it was like they were working on things. But these things were weird because they were round and oblong, and they didn't touch the floor. They kind of hovered above the floor. <clears throat> and when the workers there needed to access one or another or change things around, they'd push them around and rearrange them and, 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 and get them in the order they needed to work on them, right? And they involved in embodied energy, and the energy was, was uh, of a different sort than I was familiar with. And it, and it was just, you know, I, and I, it's been a long time, so I, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on the details. But one of the things that really came through to me was these guys are there, and I call them people, but I said, I it's not quite like people. <clears throat> I, I'm not sure exactly how to say it, but they seem a little different. But I'm going to call them people because they seem generally the way people seem, you know, every, people everywhere are the same. And I said, and they don't like being here. I said, it's like they're in a, in a foreign location. They're stuck and it's boring and tedious and they just want to go home. And... Uh, Later, I found out that Mount Hayes is supposedly the repair base that Pat Price was talking about. And so that was kind of interesting. It also made me think if I really was interacting with ETs, 
that, you know what, in some ways, they're not much different than us, at least when you get below the skin, you know, and get into their their personalities, if you will, or attitudes or whatever. That That is incredible. I had no idea there was alleged repair bases on uh, in the mountains of Alaska. That's 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 pretty incredible just to even well, think that. You still don't know that, right? You just know that there's claimed to be, right? I always am careful with, because so often, uh, you know, Mark Twain once said uh, he didn't believe in reading health books because he's afraid of he he die of a health uh, of a misprint, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of how I retreat retreat. I treat UFO world, uh, even my experiences with it, is it could be true, but until I get some really concrete evidence, I'm not going to accept that. Now, the beauty of the Tic Tac thing, which I don't want to go into great detail here unless it comes up as a question later, uh, the beauty of the Tic Tac deal is we have a huge amount of multi-level information about this. And so... One of the things I learned in my philosophy courses when I was studying philosophy of science is that uh, the more sources of confirmation you get, the more likely something is to be true. So in other words, if somebody just tells you about something, you don't know that's true. But if somebody else shows you a picture of that same thing, then you start to have good reason to believe it. And if somebody else comes up and says, you know, I saw that too, and I got a recording of this, and I was able to actually go up and make a tracing of figures on the side, you you come to a pretty good state of acceptance. And in the Tic Tac thing, we have millimeter wave radar. We've got a, the entire Aegis system on the ships. We have gun camera footage. We have eyewitness reports. We've got, um, well, there's several different bands of radar involved. We've got FLIR imagery. I mean, we have all these multiple sources of confirmation which is when a skeptic says, oh, it's just, it's just fantasy or whatever they say to, to dismiss it. Those guys don't know what they're talking about. They absolutely don't. So, okay, I'm off on a tangent. So I never believe anything. I don't disbelieve it, but I never believe anything until I have a really good reason, you know, additional information to help me ground it more, more thoroughly. I can totally understand that and appreciate, you know, the accuracy that you want to bring to the subject. In regards to extraterrestrials, were you ever outside of Ingo Swan, maybe at a time when you served, were you ever asked to look into aliens? Are you allowed to answer that? Well, not other than what I've already said, you know, uh, Ed Dames had us looking at alien things. And, and frankly, I, his methodology, I didn't really trust let's just say that i didn't trust uh, how he was doing that skip out what i trusted he really understood the protocol he knew how to get the most accurate information in the least amount of confabulation but that would be the only time right off i mean i might think of something i forgot but right now i can't think of anything other than those circumstances working with ingo um, that I that I had anything to do with that. With your connection, we got two minutes to go here before we got okay. to take a break here at the top of the hour. With your connections uh, in what perceives to be connecting with extraterrestrials, do you believe that we are a planet that has extraterrestrials on it currently? Well, this is another one of those things I don't disbelieve. Um, some of the people I know, I'd swear we had extraterrestrials here, <laughs> but, uh, um, I, I, first of all, I'm going to say, I think it's quite possible. 
Um, are they here? Like, do we have a resident community? I'm not sure about that. I think it's more likely if we do have any, they're like infiltrators that come and go. But, you know, it's possible. Maybe there are some who are here all the time. Um, I, you know, I... Um, Okay, well, I guess I answer that question. I was going to say something else to that, but I, I've forgotten what it was. I'm sure it'll come back. That's all right. I, I, I can uh, figure out how to figure out one more minute here before we got to go to break. But Well, actually, I do have more to say to that, but let's do it after break. Okay, we can do that. Did anything ever scare you, remote viewing? <laughs> um, actually, no, not in remote viewing, but I have to tell you, maybe I can get through in, in less than a minute here. Um. I used to go over and cool down at the operations building. We had a bed. I, I joke we were the only uh, army unit that had a bed as part of our our, uh, our military equipment, right? And, and I went over, I'd, I'd lay down and I'd cool down, just kind of relax. And I kept letting my hand dangle over the side and I go, I get shocked. And what the heck is that? You know, and I couldn't figure it out. Well, it turned out after a lot of investigation and, and I started not wanting to go over there because I kept getting shocked that there was a metal baseboard heater and Skip had put a uh, early primitive uh, negative ion generator right near it. And it just had an open radiator thing and it had charged that, that baseboard heater. And every time my hand got down there, it got shot with the electricity. So I don't know. That's, that's not a remote viewing event. So either way, you got the shock <laughs> of a lifetime. And when we yep. return on spaced out radio with Paul H. Smith, PhD, author, researcher, remote viewer. We're going to get into more hot-button remote viewing topics and your questions as well. It's going to be a jam-packed hour number two, talking remote viewing. I love this topic. Spaced Out Radio continues right after this. Stay tuned. All right, boss, we're clear. Okay. I'm going to take a quick break here. I will be right okay. back. I'm going to put you in the green room. we got about six minutes, okay? Okay, sounds good. Be right back. Stay tuned, audience. We've got a good hour coming up next.
Okay, old Davey is back. Old Davey is back. Jerry Lahane, how are you? Nice to see you. You guys having fun tonight? This is a great show. want to say thank you to Louie, Gizmo, W. Decker, Times 2, and Debster for the amazing super chats. Trying to keep up with questions here. And if you haven't already, for let's starting at five bucks a month, you could join the SOR Space Travelers Club on Patreon. The link is below in the description of this show. We'd appreciate you joining us. Matt Feinberg, how are you? And what else? Have you done any shopping at spacedoutradio.com yet? We got good swag. We don't have ugly swag, guys. We don't have ugly swag. We got nice stuff. I highly recommend it. I got a bunch of it, like the Alavni Volador shirt. I don't know where he is. He hasn't been around in months. I have no idea where he is. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Jessica. All right, we got 25 seconds before we're going to launch here. And what a show. Man, this is awesome. Absolutely awesome. Going to bring Paul back in. <laughs> well, you caught me. I was trying to fix my microphone, but I think I succeeded just in as you time. turned me on. Perfect. All right, here we go. So here's a question. I brought something to drink. Can I? You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Here we go with hour number two of Spaced Out Radio tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, Talk Stream Live at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Just do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Radio Johnny O'Meter. Radio Johnny O'Meter is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com, we have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join us on Patreon in the SOR Space Travelers Club. We continue on in hour number two. Professional remote viewer Paul H. Smith is with us, and we are discussing the beauty of remote viewing. And maybe a little aliens has gotten in there. You know, it, we always try to sneak that in, but that's what we do. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you're having a good time. I am having a great time. Yep. Right on. Are you ready to get going again? Uh, if you're ready, I am. I am ready. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you the choice. I got a few questions, or would you like to go to audience questions? Because I know they're piling up. Well, let's start with one or two of yours, just to increase the enthusiasm out there, and then we'll switch to audience. Can do. Can do. All right. The idea that, that you know you have remote viewed, whether it's on the moon or Mars or 
anywhere else. Have you ever found extraterrestrial life forms on other planets or moons in our solar system? Well, I mean, my, my, my account of remote viewing that space vessel or whatever, the semi, well, the seemingly uh, aware one um, indicates, yes. And um, I, you know, I can't really, uh, at this point, I have to go back through all the stuff I did. I don't remember anything that stands out, but I think I, I certainly did um, pick up on some things, uh, which, because I was tasked on those by Skip Atwater, it was Ed Dames. I don't know whether to trust it or not. But it certainly made for exciting, uh, you know, a fun, a fun diversion from remote viewing Russian tanks and and uh, missiles and things. You know, so, did you ever, when you were remote viewing, were you ever able to find any type of of extraterrestrial? bases like i know you, you were told that that where their bases were but did you ever find any like landing spots hot zones where these things seem to happen and pop up no <clears throat> we weren't sent after that kind of thing usually it was uh suspected things that already happened they were looking for more whoever was doing the tasking was looking for more information about uh, one instance another one skip atwater did it was a uh, minesweeper a uh, Argentinian minesweeper that had been found adrift off the coast of... It's game day at Raising Cane's. If you want to order like a saint, it's the action off the field you need to focus on. The only play you're running is chicken. So what combo are you picking? Make it a perfect season. We've got tailgates of hand-battered, cooked-to-order chicken fingers and cane sauce and jugs of freshly made tea and lemonade, all available to order online or on our app. This season is about to be unbeatable. Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love. (laughs) Official chicken finger of the Saints. Nico has always been a leader ahead of the curve, but his growth wasn't keeping up. So his pediatrician recommended PediaShore Nutrition Shakes to help him grow and support his immune system. And he says they are delicioso. Shop for PediaShore at PediaShore.com. Of South America. Nobody on board. It's kind of like the old Mary Celeste story where there's food on the table and looked like everybody was there, but it had left in a big hurry. Um, and there's rumors it involved a UFO. And in fact, um, my session, which got cut short, because again, I picked up, well, this is like UFO attacking a ship or something. And, and that's, all I could, that's all I could get in my head. So I couldn't get details about it. But a couple of my comrades on that did uh, actually get some fairly interesting uh, descriptions. Uh, one was uh, Bill Ray, who was a really good friend of mine and ended up being, the commander of the unit <clears throat> for about a year and a half. Um, Bill got, uh, and this is going to be rough as well, uh, just approximate. If he got uh, that, there were a whole bunch of that, that the crew of the ship, there was a UFO. He got a UFO of some sort. And of course that was back when there were UFOs, not UAPs. Right. So he got a UFO sometimes hovering over the ship and illuminating the ship with something like a beam weapon or something. And all the crew, like just going crazy with fear and all jumping off the ship. And that's an interesting thing. Uh, did it happen? I don't. I don't know. But uh, if I'm remembering the accounts right, Joe McMoneagle had a very similar thing. Uh, it wasn't exactly the way Bill described it, but in his case, there was a UFO was hovering over ship. the The crew went crazy with fear and jumped overboard. Okay, so you know, 
is that what happened? Well, it certainly fits the results. You know, the ship drifting out with anybody on board. Of course, we couldn't see that. You know, they couldn't see evidence of a UFO when they when they uh, boarded the ship. But what's interesting here is Joe, if I'm remembering right now, don't take this literally because my memory's all hazy and it's been a long time. Uh, Joe, as I recall, said that this UFO actually was a USO that it emerged out of the ocean. It had been under the water and it emerged out of the ocean and, and had whatever effect had effect it had on the ship. Um, and this was actually, you know, there is an area off the coast of South America, roughly where this ship would have been sailing, which multiple sightings of USOs have been seen. That is UAPs coming up out of the water or going back down into the water. Um, so, it ties in with other sort of, um, I won't say substantive, but but other evidence we have that's unconnected. So that suggests there's a little bit more to this than just somebody's imagination. What do you think of the recent UFO flap that's going on within the United States, the military branches, and the FAA, everybody trying to hop on board with, you know, the term UAP, which I have kind of defined as UAP seem to be more man-made objects where UFOs still seem to be a little bit more obtuse on what they are. Do you look at it, or what is your opinion of everything that's going on right now regarding okay. this touchy subject? So let me address the terminology first. Maybe I'll convince you... Um to take another look at that. So UFO means unidentified flying object. Yes. Right? UAP means unidentified aerial phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And there's a dramatic difference between those things. UFO, first of all, it assumes unidentified. That's a given. It's flying. Okay, in both cases, it's flying. Or, or well, no. In one, in one, you know, UFO is unidentified flying. So flying implies that somehow it is flying in a physical sense. Um, and O, object, implies it is an actual thing, right? Now, UAP, and I know, I, I know why they adopted it, because I think in a way it is actually more inclusive. So U, unidentified, nobody argues with that. A, aerial, so it's in the air, but is it flying or is it being motivated by something that isn't really flying, but some other way of traversing space, right? So it opens up the possibilities there. And then phenomenon doesn't specify it's actually an object. It might be something else altogether. It might not even be a physical thing. Okay, now I happen to think these things are, but this at least allows the possibility that it's something other than what we are assuming these things are. Uh, and in fact, if anything, UAP says less about it being a conventional human-created thing than UFO does. It opens up many more possibilities there. So that's how I look at this term. And I don't know if I've convinced you or not, but 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 at least you hear there, there's a possible counter-argument here, right? So what do I think about it? I think it's one of the best things that's happened to the UFO community. Um and and I already talked a little bit about this, the Tic Tac, uh, pro, uh, you know, uh, event, which, um, can I say this? Um, so I, I knew about this long before it became public knowledge. I was actually asked to 
get a group of viewers together and remote view it without knowing what it was. I didn't know until after we remote viewed it what it was. Uh, and, and I'm not absolutely sure it was this one that, you know, the, uh, uh, I've forgotten the carrier that was involved, the carrier group that, that, that is the one that's getting all the attention because there have been other instances of this. It isn't just that. What carrier group was it? I've got Ticonderoga stuck in my head, but that's an old no, carrier. It was oh. a Nimitz group. Nimitz, yes. So, so uh, it was. It hasn't didn't just happen to the Nimitz group. It has happened to other uh, carrier groups and other naval formations off of both coasts, and potentially elsewhere in the world. Elsewhere in the world, but here it was a, a little easier to observe. So anyway, I was asked to get a group of folks together, and I can't tell you by who, but you'd recognize them. Uh, to remote view it. We weren't successful. I'll tell you right now, uh, we did not get it right for various reasons that uh, I can't explain unless I tell you more about the project. And I can't tell you more about the project because I signed this massive NDA that, they, they, you know, they yeah, I, get, I have to give up all my kids and my house. No, Alan, it's not quite that bad, but you get the idea. So anyway, um, but I was so happy to see the Tic Tac information start coming out in real time and see Congress taking it seriously, see the, the various agencies taking it seriously. Um, you know, there are always people in these agencies that did, but they didn't have enough horsepower to to get real attention going. And now it has broken broken out. Now, I, I'll be the first to say, I have not made UFOs, UAPs, my main interest uh, certainly have not been my main interest. Remote viewing is where I focus, and I tend to be very conservative and very focused on real-time remote viewing with, you know, against real targets and that kind of thing, and teaching people how to do it and all that. That's been my main focus. But I, I'm, fortunately, I guess I say unfortunately, it's not unfortunately, but I keep company with a lot of these uh, prominent. UFO UAP researchers. So I and Hal Putoff are really good friends. We've we interact frequently. Um I Jock Villane are friends, Eric Davis, John Alexander, um, okay, there's more. Um Eric Davis at, at the you know out at uh, Skinwalker and, and we're all I'm friends with all of these guys. And not just yeah, they they know my name. We talk quite a bit. Okay. Um Jacques not so much because he's off doing his stuff, but you know we do interact and, and you know often enough. And um, I kind of get kicked, I, I get dragged kicking and screaming into the UAP arena because of this, and so and particularly lately, it's uh, because of this tic tac and all this other stuff we're doing now. Um, and I think people say, well, what do you think of all this stuff about UFOs? And you get the you know, the, the, all the different varieties of ETs and stuff out there. And, and I say, well, and I still think this, I say 90% for what's said about UFOs and ETs in the in public is baloney. But there's that 10% that isn't. And now the 10% is getting the real attention. And I think that's great. So, yeah, I, I, there's probably more I can say, but that that answers your question, I think. There still seems to be a lot of cover-up with it, though. There still seems to be a lot of, of of bouncing around the topic. You know, the Navy doesn't want to play the game anymore. The Air Force refused. The armies remain silent on this pretty much, except for this 
this uh, non-financial crata that they signed with the TTSA a few years back that turned into nothing. You know, I mean, we know it's being studied. We know it's, you know, people are having extraordinary experiences, whether it's sightings or whether it's abduction or contact or whatever it may be. I mean, do you look at it as a veteran and somebody who's played the inside game as that this is this is a giant soap opera that continues to go round and round in circles and those who are trying to bring out the truth about the phenomena being very very real just keep spinning it into some sort of government narrative so i i don't know how giant it is uh you know when 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 there's something people are interested in comes out, they tend to exaggerate the importance of it in, in an agency where people aren't interested in it, right? So, and having been on the inside, I know the government is not monolithic. People say, well, the government's doing this or the government's doing that. You know what? There are literally millions of people who are in the military services in the federal government, and none of, the, none of them think exactly like everybody else, right? So, there are vast swaths of the government which don't have anything to do with UFOs, don't care about UFOs, and it's particularly to the military services. Their primary mission isn't to find out about UFOs or even to keep us from knowing about UFOs. Their mission is to defend the country, and that is a massive job. It's if you're interested in learning music but feel like your life is just too hectic, then try Berkeley Online. Berkeley Online is the most flexible way to study the renowned curriculum at Berkeley College of Music from anywhere in the world and on your own schedule. Berkeley Online offers more than 250 music courses. Visit bol.education to try a free sample lesson. When you're ready to enroll, you'll receive a 10% discount on your first non-degree course or certificate with a coupon code LEARN. bol.education. Learn music with Berkeley from anywhere absolutely massive okay now doesn't mean there aren't little groups in there who have special interests and they're working on this stuff but we're talking probably less than 0.01 percent of the government including the military has anything to do with ufos and ets now it still doesn't mean it's not important right and of course the 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 people of the united states not just here, but around the world, have a massive interest in UFOs because it's really interesting, exciting, and could be a potential threat. There's no question about that. Now, there are folks out there who don't think they're a threat. Maybe we can talk about that later. I think they're they're potentially wrong, just potentially wrong, not necessarily wrong. Um, but but uh, but we do have an interest in them for various reasons. They're exciting. They're fun. They're whatever. Um, but there are, and there are things that the government probably could reveal that it knows now that it isn't revealing. In fact, we know that for a fact, and I'm talking to Hal Putoff. He says, well, there's stuff that hasn't been released yet. He says there are people working to try and get it released, but there are constituencies both for and against release of this. In fact, um, oh, dang it, I'm blanking on his name, too. That's what you get for having me on this late at night. Um, uh, Grush. You know, David uh, Grush, yeah. Yeah, David Grush. So when he first came out, so... Let me set the stage for this. I was at Contact in the Desert. I'd gone and talked about aliens and consciousness and done a workshop on remote viewing and been on a panel and stuff. And and so I'm getting ready to leave on Monday morning after the conference is over, and that's when the bombshell hit, right? Um, People come out and say, did you see the news news, uh, interview this morning? What were you talking about? This guy, whistleblower, spilled the beans, blah, 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 all this stuff, you know? And, And so I found out about him. I listened to some of what he said, and uh, and my first stop was Hal Putoff, 
because I know how uh, is one of the cr- most credible people out there. He has never lied to me. He's never made stuff up. When he can't tell me something, he's upfront about it, says, I'm sorry, I can't tell you about that. Um, and I asked him about David Grush. I said, is this guy real? Or, or is he another one of those fake whistleblowers? And there are fake whistleblowers that get out there and tell a bunch of crap that isn't true. And he said, no, Grush is the real deal. I know him. I've known him for years. He is totally reliable. He's totally honest. And he does his best to do what's right. And uh, and so from that point on, I, I trust what Grush says. Because if Putoff says that, I absolutely believe it. You know, because I trust Hal. Um, so, the, you know, that, that, that gets my attention. I'd already had my attention gotten by the Tic Tac thing. Um, and then that happened. And we're seeing a whole bunch of this other stuff unfold a little at a time. But see, what I think is happening with Grush is there are a lot of powerful people inside the government who want this stuff to come out, at least to some degree. And uh, here we are. We aren't even really talking about remote viewing in this interview, are we? <laughs> so anyway, that's okay. Um, Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so I think I, this is how I assess the situation. I'm not telling you this is real, but from a long, long experience with the government, I think this is what's going on. You've got this uh, Machiavellian thing going behind the scenes that there are people who want this stuff out there to the public and feel like the public ought to hear it. And they have been supporting Grush, and even admits that there are people who are supporting him and gave him permission to say the things he's saying. Because I'll tell you what, if he came out and revealed what appeared to be the, as high a level of information as he does, if he didn't have backers, he would be on his way to, to, to Leavenworth, right? So, um, so he's got people supporting him and keeping him out of jail. And so he feels like he can talk about it. But that, I also think there is a very powerful, um, I'm not going to call them cabal, because I think most of them are probably sincere about this. There are powerful people inside the government who don't want it out, okay? And so they're pushing back, and so that makes it so that you can't release everything. Now, the next thing I'm going to say is there is probably information out there about UFOs, UAPs, and ETs that shouldn't be released, that the information, if released, would be dangerous, okay? Now, dangerous in a couple of ways. One is technologically. I am, based on things that Grisham has said and Putoff has also said, I think there is technology that hey, they have either deduced or actually recovered from alien UAP sources that have civilian and military applications. And and for the, the, the civilian applications, economically, people, you know, there are probably large companies that have been permitted to access this information and see what they can do with it. Now, people say, oh, those, those fat, rich people running those corporations shouldn't have that kind of power. But if you look at it, who's, who's in a position to actually produce that and develop it uh, in a coherent way than a big corporation has a lot of resources, Right. Um, we don't know what kind of quid pro quo is there, uh, assuming that what I'm saying is true. But uh, but anytime the government produces technology or or releases technology as control to a private corporation, that corporation owes money to the federal budget, to the federal coffers, right? Now, some of those deals are really sweetheart. Some of them are actually fair. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to address any of that stuff. But there can be reasons to keep technology secret so that we on our side can exploit it first 
before somebody else over there gets access to it and exploits it before we get a chance. Okay. I mean, that happens all the time in regular intellectual property. You are allowed to keep your own intellectual property secure until you market a product and get it out there. And it makes sense that at least some of this stuff might go that route. Now, the other side of it is you've also got the military applications. And if there is advanced technology that we obtain from these sources and the Russians got it first, do we really want that to happen? Or the Chinese get it first? Do we want that to happen? Or do we want to keep that kind of stuff secret until we can learn how to exploit it properly in our own best interest as a nation? And frankly, I'm all for that. I mean, we don't release secrets on how to build an, uh, an H-bomb. We don't want Hezbollah getting a hold of that kind of information, for example, right? We don't want the Russians to find out if there really are cloaking devices for aircraft. We don't want them to find that out. And so there are potentially legitimate reasons to keep some of the secret. Now, here's the problem, too, as I've experienced in the military as well. There's oftentimes a lot of ancillary stuff that just gets hoovered up and kept secret. It doesn't need to be. That's the stuff I think ought to be released. The stuff that isn't going to get us in trouble if foreign countries get a hold of it first. Okay, they'll eventually get a hold of it. We want to get a hold of it first, partly because we want to learn how to operationalize it, and then we want to learn the antidotes to it before they learn how to operationalize it. So anyway, that's a bit of a soapbox. Can you tell? <laughs> I love it. I love it. We got thirty seconds left, and when we return on the back end of the last half hour that we have with you tonight. I do want to get to some audience questions here because they are really piled up and there's a lot of them. So we're going to try and Mm -hmm. sneak in as many as we can tonight with our special guest tonight, Paul H. Smith, former United States Army major, remote viewer, part of Project Stargate. We haven't even got into Stargate yet. You know what this means is we're a ton. <laughs> you know what this about. means? We, we're going to have to bring you back. I, I hate to keep oh, you up late. I feel so bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm loving this talk tonight. This is one of those conversations, people, that we could literally do about an eight-hour show on. But we will finish it up with Paul H. Smith right after this on Spaced Out Radio, remote viewing, and more on the Mighty SOR. Stay tuned. After that last 20 minutes or so, I could give you a big bear hug. That was amazing radio there. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate that. You know, and again, UFOs, UAPs, this is not my specialty at all. But I hung out with some really smart, really dedicated people. And uh, they've been my education, really. You know, and, you know, I, I this is stuff I've I've learned. And some of it I've thought out myself, but it's based on what they've helped me. Uh, understand so well i would like to privately have a conversation about you with you about a couple of things that i have mm-hmm. experienced personally just to kind of get your opinion on them um but that's for another day if you're okay with that sure yeah if i when i have time i i am welcome that kind of a of a get together so right right yeah hal put off and Jim Jim Semivan, I just yeah. they they're mystiques to me, you know. Um, John Alexander scares the daylights out of me, <laughs> and uh, 
And ever since the first time I ever interviewed him on the show, and he yelled at me twice on the air, I thought it was great, but he, he intimidated the hell out of me. I mean, John's got to be, he's got to be a bit of a curmudgeon. I have to say, you know, he's, he's, he's getting up there. He's surprisingly well-preserved, but, uh, but yeah, once you get to know him or at least get some, the goods on him, I don't have any goods on him. What do you think? What do you think of all these rumors? Once again, we are, we are still live on YouTube. So if you don't want to answer, you're okay with that. I'm okay with that. But what do you think well, about all not, these? That's something we want to save for the full audience too. So, <laughs> um, what do you think of all the rumors about about John, where he's gone to UFO conferences and people have stood up and said, "What were you doing in my experience? What were you doing there?" This has happened about five <laughs> or six times at different UFO conferences where he's been called out by audience. If you're interested in learning music but feel like your life is just too hectic, then try Berkeley Online. Berkeley Online is the most flexible way to study the renowned curriculum at Berkeley College of Music from anywhere in the world and on your own schedule. Berkeley Online offers more than 250 music courses. Visit bol.education to try a free sample lesson. When you're ready to enroll, you'll receive a 10% discount on your first non-degree course or certificate with a coupon code LEARN. bol.education. Learn music with Berkeley from anywhere members who've been taken that's pretty funny um john is the kind of guy who just by his very personality inspires people to suspect him and whatever um you know i don't know the details here i'm absolutely sure john was not literally there uh nor did he have any kind of psychic influence there um he's actually more of a skeptic ironically he's more of a skeptic than he is actually a you know, a UFO proponent. Now, he certainly believes the phenomena are real. He certainly believes they're, they're really yeah. there and all that. But uh, he also, so he published a book, uh, it's up on his shelf, UFOs. It's a blue cover. I can't remember the full title of it. In which he pretty much said, the government doesn't know anything about UFOs. And he believed that. He believed the government. The government doesn't have anything to reveal. It's just got some random facts and stuff. And it doesn't, doesn't know anything, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and in fact... Um, when Grush came out with what he said, you know, about having retrieved craft and all that stuff, I forget who was talking to him, another mutual friend of ours, uh, and, and said, well, John, what do you say now? He says, I guess this stuff is real. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> if anybody knows it's real, it's John. Well, I mean, he knew UFOs were real. He didn't yeah. believe in the government conspiracy suppressing information. Um, and part of that is I think he never got inside of it. People think is he has a bird name. He's one of the aviary, right? Yeah. And, uh, and of course, most people don't know what the aviary really was. Half the people in the aviary didn't know they had a bird name, right? In fact, most of them probably didn't. Um, but uh, but he, um, he had this UFO working group in the Pentagon, and he had representatives, but it was an informal one. This wasn't uh, sanctioned by the Defense Department, and it wasn't um, it wasn't funded in the budget or anything else. This was something that he put together, and he just got an interagency uh, participation from people who were like-minded that really thought that there's got to be something there. And there, they attempted to burrow down in to wherever this information was, and and he wasn't successful at that. People think he was because he had a working group in the Pentagon about UFOs. And people think he was because he is actually 
connected or at least uh, acquainted with most of the major players in the entire field. But I think his skepticism comes out of, now he might come on and tell me I'm full of crap, you know, but, but I think his skepticism comes out of the fact that he wasn't able to, to get anything out of the Pentagon that was concrete in terms of hidden information, hidden secrets, you know? So, right. I'm going to get you to hold on there. We've got about 20 seconds left. Thank you, Human Carl, Louis times two, W Decker times two, Deb and Gizmo for the great super chats. Very much appreciate your love. I may not get to all the questions for Paul, uh, but we'll do our best here, guys. Here we go, everyone. Save them up for the next time. We pass the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott, your host with the most tinfoil. Reminder to all of you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go, final half hour with Paul H. Smith, remote viewer, former U.S. Army major, retired. Thank you so much for joining us, Paul. This has been quite an experience. Well, thank you. Um, before I, we get into questions, yes. can I do this? Or will you allow me to do this? Can I show my book? Absolutely. Tell us about your book. So, whoops, I don't know how to do it. Okay, so The Essential Guide to Remote Viewing, The Secret Military Remote Perception Skill Anyone Can Learn. Um, the reason I'm showing this is because I know I'm going to get some questions. Just to let you know, if your question doesn't get answered, I'm guessing some some of them at least will be answered in this book. Uh, the reason I wrote this book is for people who just were finding out about remote viewing and wanted to know nonsense, non-sensationalized uh way to to learn about remote viewing um and uh and i anticipate i've been asked a lot of questions about remote viewing over the years and in the course of this entire you know going through this process i answered probably a lot of them well no not just probably i answered a lot of them i even have a couple of chapters on how to do it at least at a, at a basic functional level and give you opportunity you know explain how you can actually practice it and that kind of thing the book isn't intended to teach you all the ins and outs of remote viewing. It's it's kind of like a survey course about remote viewing and some of the people in it and and uh, the science behind it and so on. So um, you might find it interesting. Or if you have family and friends, you're a remote viewer yourself, but your family and friends are skeptical. This is a great book for them. The people who 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 may not believe in this stuff, and this is a way to actually get them starting to thinking seriously about it. So. Uh, the essential guide to remote viewing. Awesome. Thank you for that little plug there. Appreciate that. I want to ask you, are you one of the characters in the movie, the men who stare at goats? No, <clears throat> but they did use some of my art. Um, you can see a couple of my paintings behind me. Uh, I, I was inspired to get into what's called cosmic art by Ingo Swan. And 
they they licensed some of my paintings and my logo, the all-seeing eye is the logo for my company, and then kind of did a mishmash of it. And it's in the on the in the background behind George Clooney as he's talking about you know uh, some of some of the things he talks about on the in the film. So yeah. Yeah, because I remember John saying, when I talked to John last, we were talking about that. I'm like, which one was you? He's like, well, it was kind of a hybrid, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's Kind of true. a hybrid. Yeah. You know, he goes, So hey, I should you? say, there may be one character in there, and that is uh, Dw- the guy that plays Dwight in The Office. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who the actual a- actress. Um, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, it might be him. One of them might have some uh, some relation to me, but. I, I'm not claiming to be a character in the in the movie. Oh, that's too bad. Let's get to some audience questions. Maybe it's, maybe it's a good thing. True. <laughs> Let's go to Amy. Did your remote your remote viewing result in any military action? Um. Now let me think. Well, you know, I can't tell you all of it because we didn't get feedback on everything we did. In fact, probably only about. I can give a rough 20% that I ever find out what the target was. So I, I can't say everything, but I can say a few things. Uh, and I'll have to think some more about this. But um, so when uh, Reagan ordered the attack on Libya, they sent in a bunch of F-111s to bomb Gaddafi's palace. Is after the Libyans had blown up a nightclub in Berlin and killed a bunch of American soldiers. Uh, this was kind of retaliation for that. And they'd been, had their fingers in the, pie of a lot of trouble that had been going on in Europe and elsewhere. And so this is kind of retaliation. Well, um, there, there are some, I call one of my colleagues says that uh, we were used to set up the, uh, the bombing plan and all that kind of stuff. That's not true. There, the, the actual documents from that project are available now in the, in the Stargate archives. Um, in fact, let me say this. People write Stargate, S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E is one word. That's the TV show, <laughs> right? Stargate, the real name is S-T-A-R space, uppercase G-A-T-E. It's two words, and people always write it down wrong, and people get confused because Stargate, one word, is the TV show in the movie. Stargate, as two words, is actually the name of the program. So those of you out there who are who are going to write this down sometime, put down two words and I'll be much happier with you. So anyway, so um, what is in there is we, that one of the F-111s went down. It got, it got, I think it got hit by a Libyan missile and went down into the ocean and it turned out. And we were tasked at, to do two things. To check the bomb damage, damage assessment, see if we could describe what had actually happened. And the other thing is to try and find that F-111. Okay. And so uh, I actually just thought of another example, too. So the F-111 went down, and I described it being underwater. Okay, Now, remember, I didn't know what this target was, but I picked up an airplane, and it was underwater on the bottom of the ocean Okay, without having any front loading as to what the target was. And, uh, and I know that they undertook search and rescue based to some degree on our information. Okay, So how successful, I don't know. You know, again, we didn't get feedback on it. Um, we only found out afterwards that it was looking for the F-111 and doing the BDA on it, on the uh, on the raid. So one really good one that I do have that on is during 1989 to 1990, 
we were tasked to, uh, we were actually uh, assigned back to the Army. We're at DIA at the time. We were assigned back to the Army, uh, and in fact, the Joint Commands to help assist with the war on drugs, you know, interdict shipments in the Caribbean and off the West Coast and, and other places. And um, action was taken based on remote viewing data from that. And I think it was also done on other things, you know, other more military-type targets earlier. But I was only able to get concrete information on this. And so we worked about 100 targets, roughly, but they only had the assets, the Coast Guard cutters, the helicopters, whatever, to address about uh, 30-some-odd of the ones, uh, of those 100. So those are the ones we got assessments on. And in fact, uh, roughly a third of that those were successful, and we got good feedback from the organizations that, that our information had actually led to successful operation on the ground or on the water. A third of them had mixed results. So we contributed some information, but it wasn't decisive. And a third of them were total misses. So, you know, 30% doesn't sound like a great total. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at all the other intelligence disciplines, the three other ones, imagery intelligence, human intelligence, signals intelligence, uh, the best, the second best one was human intelligence, which is you expect. That's the world of informants and people sneaking around getting information and all that kind of thing. Um, that was, uh, they had 15% success and I can't tell you exactly how they gauge it, but they rated the human intelligent 15% success. The imagery that's like satellite and, and aerial imagery was, I don't know, I'm, I'm throwing this figure out, but it's like about half that, say roughly eight or 9%. And signals intelligence, w w as you expect, that's where you listen listening on radios and stuff was down around, I don't know, two or 3% success. We were twice as successful as the second most successful traditional intelligence discipline. So that's actually pretty impressive once you see that picture, right? And in fact, um, one of my projects I did, and I won't go into detail because I don't know who got hurt, what drug, drug, drug uh, lord got hurt by this, but there, were, um, there was an a, um, informant, revealed that there's, uh, there was contraband coming in on a container ship in a certain harbor in the United States at a certain time. But he didn't know what the name of the ship was. And so um, they, the Coast Guard checked, and there were actually six container ships coming into the harbor that time. And so they had me remote view which ship it was and where on the ship the contraband was. And in fact, you know, I start off not even those ships. Right? I ended up drawing a sketch of a side of a container ship and then doing a three-dimensional cut on it and pointing to a specific area on the cargo where the, this contraband was. And the Coast Guard stopped that ship. I assume it's the Coast Guard. I don't suppose it was the Navy, but I think it was the Coast Guard. Stopped that ship, broke into the cargo at that point, and found a container full of contraband. Oh, wow. So, so that was the case where they took action, and it turned out to be successful. So, uh, yeah. And, and there, I... I I know there were many others. In fact, there were some before my time that turned out to be successful as well. We had, in the time before I ever joined the program, and it had been going on for about four or five years, we had one uh, intelligence community first, which is like the scoop in the newspaper world. We produced information about something. It was in Cuba. It had something to do with a, a Russian unit in Cuba um, that no other intelligence agency had identified 
yet, and we identified it first and produced information on it, and that was then confirmed. So, and there was a bunch of others. I could go on about this for a while, but but yes, we did actually use it. And ironically, when the program was revealed in a Nightline on November 30th, 1995, uh, Robert Gates, who was at that time a former CIA director and later became uh, Secretary of Defense, Gates said he knew of no instance where remote viewing had ever contributed to anything, any policy maker or policy decision, which implies action or on the ground or whatever. He knew of no instance. That, that might be true because he wasn't paying attention. But if it, but there were plenty of instances that he would, would have been in a position to know. and But he was famous for not really caring about remote viewing. He really didn't want to have anything to do with it. So. All right, let's move on to another question here. And let's go to a former Marine, Black Dragon. Have you ever remote viewed the pyramid in Antarctica? No. Nice quick answer there. Perfect. <laughs> I am not sure there's a pyramid there. I'm a little bit. Well, the irony here is being a remote viewer and, and also getting a bit immersed, but not, as I said, kicking and screaming uh, in the UFO community. I've also come to be more skeptical about claims. Right? I know what's in the area of possibility and recognize there are things that may be possible that I'm not aware of, but I also know what's implausible, right? And a lot of the claims made out there about so-called paranormal things, I just find implausible and I don't find the evidence convincing. It's usually it's, it's some kind of verbal report for some, from somebody who claimed to have seen something. And to me, that's not strong evidence because I know how misle- misleading uh, eyewitness evidence can be. And, uh, and so there's tons of things I could spend my time doing that I just don't give a lot of credibility to. If somebody comes up and gives me a piece of that, that pyramid or uh, some really compelling photo- photography of it from a high-grade uh, photographic source, like a high-end satellite or something, then I would take it seriously. I mean, it's like with the UAP thing. I'm starting, I've started to take the UFO UAP, I'm sorry, the Tic Tac thing. I started to take the UFO UAP thing more seriously because now I have evidence that 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 gives some substance to that and 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 well there you go. All right, let's continue on. I love this question from Rayfin. What about Mr. Ed Major Ed Dame's predictions about the kill shot? What's your thoughts on that? Well, of course, he's talking about a CME, you know, a coro- uh, what, what does that stand for? A mass coronal ejection, whatever that stands for. And those things are possible. I mean, we had one in the 1800s. We've had, uh, you know, every so often another one comes around. But what I like to say about Ed, and he's been making these correct uh, predictions since the earliest one I know was 1984. When we were working together, um, he predicted that New York was going to be destroyed by an earthquake in that year, and of course, it's still there, right? Um, but I'd like to say about Ed that a, a, a broken clock is right twice a day, you know? And so there, is there a chance there could be a CME that, that destroys civil or civilization? Yeah, there is. There's actually, it's even a, uh, well, astronaut, astronomically, cosmologically, it's actually a fairly good chance um, and you don't need to be a remote viewer to suggest that's going to happen at some point, it, perhaps in the near future. Um, but in terms of that being an accurate remote viewing prediction, you know, I, I really have my doubts. 
Simon is asking, have you ever met the remote viewing police who say, don't view this or that? Because we've always heard these stories that, you know, if you try to remote view in to the Oval Office or Area 51, that there are, you know, like remote viewing teams there trying to shut you down or block you. So, so let me make sure that's his question, his question. Yes. His question. Are are you talking about people in the remote viewing out there in the ether that's, that stops you from remote viewing? Well, I guess that's hard for him to to answer that. Let's assume that's what it is because that's kind of what you're talking about. Right. Uh, No. And I don't think such a thing can exist actually. Um, You'll hear people tell these stories. Remote viewers tell these stories. Or stop it. Again, it's hard to hard to differentiate fantasy from whatever, and, and from reality. Oftentimes, the remote viewing universe. And frankly, I have remote viewed a lot of allegedly forbidden kinds of targets. Never had anybody interfere. Never had any kind of interference or whatsoever. So I am really dubious about those stories. Um, the thing is, you have to understand. You can't believe everything you hear somebody telling you about remote viewing. That's that's the sad thing is that people get excited, their fantasy starts going, or some of them willfully deceive. There are people out there who are purposely deceiving you because they want the attention or they want to make money off of whatever they're doing or whatever. And I'm not talking about government. I'm talking about everyday people who are trying to leverage remote viewing. You know, I have met more people who claim to have been in Project Stargate than there really were people in Project Stargate, right? You, you, you may have even heard a few of these claims. Oh, I was part of Project Stargate. And I know, I either know personally or have the records of everybody that was ever in Stargate. And frankly, I'd say a dozen or more people at least, uh, I couldn't name them because I don't track them, but have claimed to have been a Stargate, and I know for a fact they were not. If I ever have any doubt, I get a hold of Skip Atwater and Hal Putoff, um, both of whom together know everybody who's in the program, except for the last part of it. So, yeah. All right, let's go to Kim. What made them, being your your friends in Germany, think that you might be a good prospect to be tested as a remote viewer? Well, well, this is correct, not Germany. For me, oh, sorry, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. I didn't want to embarrass you. I just don't want people confused either. Um, so, so I, um, I talked about this at the top, top of the program, and it's possible that Kim wasn't here there at the time, but it's just because they've been watching me. Uh, so they, they, you know, I'll add a little bit more to the story. So, um, I was not aware that I was living next to a remote viewer and next to the guy who was the operations and training officer. I had no idea. I never even put the words remote and viewing together at that time. Um, and uh, what I didn't know also was that they actually had a new contract with uh, SRI to teach three remote, three new remote viewers to, to recruit people and then train them remote viewing to use them to replace the folks who were being cycled out because they'd reached the end of their tours. And so they purposely wanted to find somebody, but but it's really hard to advertise. You don't advertise, especially back then when it was a, a black project that nobody's supposed to know about. You didn't advertise wanted remote viewing trainings, right? So they had to evaluate the circle of friends, people they knew, and they got to know me and realized I was involved in art and, uh, and uh, well, all the things I said, you know, music and all that kind of stuff, which were creative pursuits. And, and so they checked my background and discovered that, yeah, I was a a stand-up officer. I did what I was supposed to do, and I did it well. Um, 
And then I had these other capabilities that were uh, correlated with success at remote viewing because they were looking for, these are essentially right brain to speak simplistically, but essentially right brain activities and right brain and remote viewing is certifiably right brain centric. And so if you had somebody who already was right brain in some of their pursuits, unlike most left brain army officers, um, that was an indicator right there that I was at least worth checking out and giving a chance. Okay, let's continue on. We've got about four minutes left here. Let's oh. go to Jules here. Which do you prefer, blind or front-loaded targets? Is front-loading a shortcut or an impediment to the signal? So I was all set for the lightning round, but this is not going to be conducive. Okay, viewers should never be front-loaded, ever. And the reason for it is, well, I say ever, there might be occasional purpose and the front loading has to be really carefully done. But the reason is because if you know what the target is, then your left brain starts making all kinds of crap up and it generates this huge amount of noise. It starts guessing. It starts bringing in things you already know about the target. It starts uh, speculating on what the, why they're, why they want you to remote view this target, et cetera, et cetera. It just starts generating huge amount of noise. And as you say here, an impediment to the signal, it is absolutely impediment to the signal. makes it very hard to remote view accurately uh, if you know what the target is up front. Continuing on here, let's go to Gizmo. When remote viewing, can you pick up on smells and taste or hot or cold? Absolutely. People, you know, remote viewing, I think it should have been named remote perception because remote viewing is actually kind of a cocktail of different apparent sensory perceptions. I say apparent because these things aren't coming through your senses. It's like your your sensory processing centers in your brain get activated by some distant stimulus that doesn't involve going through your senses. Okay. So so yes, you can pick up smells and tastes and tactiles and and sounds. I gotta think of all these things. And of course visuals and temperature and all that stuff. Now it doesn't always come in as if you're feeling something or if you're seeing or tasting something, oftentimes it comes in as if you just suddenly know that's there, which I think is actually is activating sensory systems centers, but gets passed through a, a less conscious process in your brain, into your mind, uh, your uh, awareness, your uh, perceptual awareness. And so, yes, you can detect those things. Sometimes you actually do detect them quite vividly. More often, it's more subtle or muted signal. And sometimes it just is there. You know it's there, but you don't know how you know. All right, we got two minutes. We'll sneak in one more question here. And this one, we're going to pick Griff here. Griff is asking, are some people prone to pick up remote viewing easier than others? Yes. Now, it's a very democratic skill. The research at SRI showed that just about anybody could do it. Now, of course, just like any other complex human skill, they do it at different different levels and they pick it up quicker than others. Um, and I don't think it's a, it's a matter of you knowing, uh, I don't think it's a matter of you having a talent to remote view so much as you have a talent for learning, okay? And I think that's where the key is. If you, a lot of people already think they know stuff and they come in and they have this this block and, uh, and uh, Frank Herbert in one of the Dune books said, thinking you know something is a guaranteed way of, I'm paraphrasing, thinking you know something is a guaranteed way of not learning anything, right? And, and, uh, and if you come in with preconceived notions, that will get you get in your way. But also some people just 
have more faculty for picking things up and understanding them and operationalizing them than other people do. So, yeah, some do find it easier than others. Sir, you got a couple of books out on uh, mm-hmm. that can be bought out there. Tell us where our audience can find them. We got thirty seconds. Well, mostly just on Amazon right now. Uh, the, my first book, Reading the Enemy's Mind, is now only available in Kindle or used. If you can find it, the uh, the publisher I, I tried to get the rights so I could reprint it, and they they have it still in Kindle, and they didn't want to surrender the rights. So okay, um, that's why I wrote this book. Uh, one of the reasons I wrote this book. All right, here we go. The Essential Guide to Remote Viewing, which I already did a little advertising blurb on. That one is probably most easily available on Amazon. There is a book page for it, but uh, but you and I'll send you a if you can buy a signed book off of there. Um, it's called uh, Guide to Remote Viewing.com. Uh, it's also linked to my website, rviewer.com. Beautiful. Sounds like we're going out. Okay. We are heading on out. Mr. Paul H. Smith, thank you so much for coming on Spaced Out Radio tonight. Coming up next, Steve Stockton brings us a spooky story from Among the Missing. Then it's the UFO Report with Tim Senor. Hour three is next. Faster than Coast? I think it was, yeah. Yeah. Well, first off, uh, there weren't as many commercial breaks. Are we still talking to your YouTube yeah, audience? Yeah, YouTube can hear us. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, hi guys. Thanks for sticking on, <laughs> sticking, sticking with us. Uh, um, yeah. Actually, I think there were fewer breaks and stuff. Coast gets tedious because you're off the air almost as much as you're on. Yeah. You know, and you let your actually let your audience. Uh, well, we didn't get much of an opportunity for that, but you let your audience state their own questions, which is helpful. And George, George lets his folks come on too, yeah, and talk. But, uh, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You you control the narrative less, which is why I I talk a whole lot more here. I loved it. I would love to bring you back again soon, my friend. I mean, this was incredible. So you just tell me when you want to come back on, and and uh, we can do it, man. Well, give me a tweak. Let's say four or six months out, something like yep. that. If you need me sooner, I, I might be able to do that as well. But, uh, yeah, me remembering, uh, I turned 71, so I'm not sure what I remember anymore short term. So, anyway, no, this was great. I very much enjoyed it. So, I hope we, hopefully we'll stay in you, touch. You were amazing, and yes, sir, we will stay in touch. I'll let you get to bed. Thank you for okay. your time, and uh, we'll talk very soon. Sounds great. Thanks very much. I appreciate Take it. Take care. Paul H. Smith, everybody. Wow. Absolute wow tonight. Oh, it just gives me goosebumps. Next time we'll get him to talk Stargate. I promise you that. All right. I'm going to step away for a minute here. Uh, We'll be right back, guys.
I am still pumped up about that one. I would say that's one of our top 10 interviews that we've ever done. I will say that. <coughs> Excuse me. Top 10 interviews that we've ever done. Thank you tonight to Human Carl, Lumi times two, W Decker times two, Gizmo and Debster for the great super chats. Thank you so much for everything that you uh, do every night here on Spaced Out Radio. And, uh, yeah, join the Space Travelers Club. Now's the time to do it. You can click the link below in the description on YouTube. Five bucks a month. And we got some good stuff on there. We do. Shop at our Spaced Out Radio store. And if you're new here, do us a favor. Hit that subscribe button. Ring that bell. We are here seven days a week for your listening entertainment. Here we go. you like to connect with us head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info now back to dave scott and sor i don't know how to compare to that interview that we did that's definitely one of my top 10 that i've ever done with paul h smith wow but we're going to continue on here with hour number three of spaced out radio my name is dave scott thank you so much for taking the time to allow us into your night Thank you to our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Radio Johnny O'Meter. Radio Johnny O'Meter is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. It is that time of the night where we kick off hour number three with a spooky story from Steve Stockton from Among the Missing. Hello, friends. Welcome to Among the Missing YouTube channel on Spaced Out Radio. I'm Steve Stockton, and I'm about to take you on an unbelievable journey of people just like you. Their stories and encounters will haunt us on Among the Missing. Throughout history, numerous wars have been waged on multiple fronts. In 1862, three significant battles of the Civil War took place across various areas of what is currently referred to as the Maryland section, situated along the Appalachian Trail. Many lives, particularly those of soldiers, were lost in the violent and ongoing conflict. The number of soldier casualties was so great that some believe their spirits linger on. Hikers on the Appalachian Trail who passed through these areas have shared eerie stories. There have been reports of ghost soldiers, strange campfires, and the distant sounds of cannons by some people. Close to the pass where the fighting was intense is the farm of a man named Daniel Wise. It is believed that the remains of 58 soldiers were thrown into an old well on his property, which has led to sightings of ghostly figures wandering around Wise's land. 
Next, we have the Pierce Pond Ghost. Some individuals enjoy hiking the Appalachian Trail solo, but this has led to negative experiences for some, according to stories. One man, for example, was trekking along Pierce Pond in Maine when he encountered two shocking incidents that have stayed with him forever. After hiking several miles and camping at different locations, he settled at the Pierce Pond camp area for the night. While enjoying his campfire, he noticed a figure walking nearby. Upon closer inspection, the figure appeared ghostly and resembled a rugged outdoorsman carrying what appeared to be fishing equipment. During that first night, the spectral figure gradually faded into the darkness. The man resumed his hike the next day, only to come face to face with a ghostly figure once more. This encounter was more frightening than the previous, as the figure halted and gave him an unsettling stare that sent shivers down his spine. Without hesitation, the hiker left his campsite, dashed into the forest, took cover behind a tree, and waited until morning. Once daylight broke, he quickly returned to his camp, gathered his belongings, and left the area before nightfall caught up with him again. And there's the story of the Flatwoods Monster. In the summer of 1952, Edward and Fred May, two brothers from Flatwoods, West Virginia, rushed home to tell their mother, Kathleen May, about a strange event they had just witnessed. While playing football at Flatwoods School Playground, they saw a bright object swiftly fly across the sky and land on a nearby farmer's property. Ms. May and her sons, along with some other boys from the area, were curious about what had occurred on the neighbor's land and went looking for answers. As the sun set, they noticed an unusual object in the woods. According to Andrew Smith, the executive director of the Braxton County CVB and curator of the Flatwood Monster Museum, the thing had an odd shape. It was emitting a red glow accompanied by smoke or steam. During this adventure, 17-year-old National Guardsman Eugene Lemon witnessed a pulsating light and directed his flashlight toward it. He spotted a, quote, 10-foot monster with bright eyes, a blood-red face, and green glowing body perched in a tree, end quote. The monster then hissed and floated toward the group, causing Lemon to scream and drop his flashlight. According to newspaper reports, several of the party fainted and vomited for several hours after returning to town. Later, Ms. May was quoted as saying that the monster looked worse than Frankenstein. The group turned and ran down the hill, immediately reporting what they saw to the local sheriff. Several men armed with shotguns returned to the scene with Lemon an hour later. According to local reports, they were met with a horrible smell and saw what they described as slight heat waves in the air. Authorities didn't find much, says Smith. What was found was gathered and sent to Washington, D.C. and never seen again. Smith says one of the reasons the Flatwoods monster encounter is so intriguing is that it was only the second or third of its kind and likely one of the first with so many witnesses. It made national headlines, says Smith. Today, on the main road into town, a sign reads, Welcome to Flatwoods, home of the green monster. The UFO sighting, or whatever it was, is in the past but not forgotten. There's not a consensus on what happened in Flatwoods that evening, says Smith. You have your UFO true believers and skeptics who think it was a misidentified barn owl, Smith explains. If I had to pick one, he says, I'd say the most commonly held thought is that the monster is a fun and interesting bit of folklore. Having to decide whether it's real or fake takes all the fun out of it. 
And thank you to Steve Stockton for another great story on Among the Missing right here on Spaced Out Radio. We do it to kick off hour number three each and every night on this show. If you want more, head on over to youtube.com forward slash Among the Missing. Do not forget to hit that subscribe button. From the missing to the mysterious, it is that time of the night where we bring in our resident Timbit, little Timmy Senor, and the UFO report. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. I don't know if you caught the entire interview with Paul H. Smith because I knew you were uh, busy before the show, but Tim, I got to tell you, that was a top 10 for Spaced Out Radio in our almost nine-year history. That was amazing. Yeah, I don't have hair, but if I did, it would be blown back. That was a great interview. I caught the tail end of it, and um, yeah, big stuff. That's a great interview. We definitely have to get him back. Oh, but did you hear the tip that he left about the apparently repair base for UFOs somewhere in the mountains of Alaska? That just, that just, uh, I don't know about you, Tim, but it put my imagination right <laughs> on track for wanting to road trip up to that area to find, to see if that base exists. I knew you were thinking that. I knew you. Were oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. You in know, episode eight, maybe we'll squeeze it in. Yeah, episode eight, <laughs> episode ten, episode twelve. So much more Somewhere to do. Up there. So much more Somewhere to do. Oh man, I, I I'm sorry. I'm I'm just pumped up about it, man. I'm just pumped up about it, and and uh, you know, we interview a lot of people on this show from people who've never been interviewed before to veterans of the military like Paul H. Smith. And you never know when you bring them on for the first time how they are going to react to the host, the questions, the way the show is conducted and everything. And what a pro. What a pro. Yeah. And it's a tough topic too. And you, you know, so and as a host you, you just pray that they go into detail and paint that picture so you could you could see it in your head. And Paul did amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. 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 Great stuff. Four to six months, we're bringing him back. That's what I'm going to say. Let's get to Excellent. some UFO talk, man. Apparently, okay. there have been dozens of whistleblowers come forward. Well, some of the numbers are reaching upwards of two dozen so or more even. So, yeah, that's right. Whistleblowers coming forward, giving testimony directly to Congress and the Pentagon and Inspector General. So it's sounding like despite the growing number of UAP whistleblowers, leaders, the uh, leaders in the military and intelligence community are fighting for greater disclosure. And so this is a great article coming from the public substack.com and in august shortly after the congress the uh u.s government ufo whistleblower david grush gave testimony to congress about crashed spacecraft and alien biologics 
Many observers wondered how much credence could be put in a testimony in his testimony. After all, Grush is a single individual, and the other individuals who testified before Congress were former Navy pilots who said that they had no evidence of a government program to retrieve or, and or reverse engineer spacecraft of exotic and apparently non-human origin. And so now it seems that since that took place, at least 30 other whistleblowers working for federal government or government contractors have given testimony or at least protected disclosure. And so this is going directly to the Office of Intelligence, uh, the Community Inspector General, the ICIG, uh, also the Defense Department Inspector General, the DOD, IG, or to Congress over the last several months. And so according to multiple sources interviewed by the public, this has been ongoing ever since Grush gave his initial uh, interview uh, and has actually been followed up on. So some of the things that he had mentioned potentially were followed up on, Dave. So uh, when told that whistleblowers had come forward to share information similar to that shared by Grush with Congress, Mick West, a prominent skeptic of UFOs, said, it'd be very interesting, you know, more people saying the same thing independently kind of makes it likely to be true. So we have yet to see more coming forward, but the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, Thomas A. Monaheim, on September 15th, appeared to deny in a letter to Congress that his office was investigating these claims. Now, Monaheim said that his office has not conducted any audit, inspection, evaluation, or review of any alleged UAP programs within responsibility authority of the DNI, and that would enable a fulsome response. And so, by the way, it's seeming that there's a lot of denial still coming from people that are in power that are pushing against this disclosure, we are seeing that we may see some more pushback coming forward here in the future. But uh, just by the way Monheim worded his response suggests he gave himself a little wiggle room. And Matthew Pines, a civilian intelligence analyst, noted last week that the official taxonomy for the ICIG activity includes audits, investigations, invest inspections, and reviews. And it's curious that an investigation is not denied. And so, Dave, it's getting heated. A lot of information coming forward, but a lot of whistleblowers coming forward, too. So they may not want to admit it, but there's a lot on the plate right now. Well, I think it's great. I think that more people who testify is wonderful. Okay, it brings legitimacy to people who may not be very well-known or well-versed on the subject of UFOs and UAP. All right, I, I am very much um, in favor of this. However, this is where I, I get a little bit concerned. Who are they? If they are protected under the Whistleblowers Act, and are talking about this stuff, why are we not allowed to see them in public? Now, I do understand, playing devil's advocate here, 
I do understand that these certain people may be still involved in the U.S. intelligence, the military, or the government, where they cannot, due to other operations, speak on behalf of this topic publicly. Their identities may may all of a sudden be putting others at risk, shall we say. Okay, Because there is a world of espionage going on out there. But you know what? You can leave those people out. I'm pretty sure that not all two dozen of them are those type of people. Okay, like That's we right. like we've heard stories about Kevin Day and Robert Salas testifying in front of Congress. Why can't they be public? They've been public the entire time. Okay? You know, we need to know what is the true list of these people. Name names if it doesn't harm national security or any current missions that the government is on. I think that's fair. It's fair to the American public. It's fair to the world public. And if if there is that much dogged information that we need to get out there, don't brag to me about how many whistleblowers you have. Show us what they brought to the table. Show us what their meaning to this conversation is. All right? I mean, who are they? We're hearing names. Okay, the rumor mill has names, whether it's Mike Herrera or, or like I said, Kevin Day or Robert Salas and, and others. But that shouldn't be a, a discretion of this Whistleblowers Act. Remember, Tim, one thing that people like Tim Burchett and Marco Rubio and all of these people have said over the last couple of years, what's the word they throw around like candy? transparency I don't see a lot of transparency going on in these hearings and you know as interesting as they are and as much as they're needed what's the public getting out of it what are we getting out of it what are you getting out of it what about you know a a 35 year old lady who can't work because she's getting abducted each and a couple times a week and it's affected her psyche, her sleep pattern, her ability to concentrate because of the PTSD that comes along with it. What what about the man who, you know, has to get up for work at two o'clock in the morning to go haul logs out of the mountains and sees weird lights all the time, which by the way, that is a true story from a number of logging truckers I've talked to in my area. What about all these instances? Why can't we just talk about it? Why why the secrecy? And I'm sorry, that bugs me. It really does. I mean, maybe I'm a little passionate about it, but I'm not impressed with it. Great, you're a whistleblower. And here's the other thing. Like Paul H. Smith just said about Project Stargate, all of these remote viewers have come out and stated they were part of Project Stargate. And he said he's uncovered... Numerous people who had nothing to do with the project, they just wanted to have the the 15 minutes of fame saying that they were a part of Project Stargate for remote viewing. Well, how many people are going to come out and say, I'm a whistleblower, but we don't have a list. We can't cross their name off a list. How do we know they're telling the truth or just another disinformation pattern 
regarding this subject. Your thoughts, Tim? No, you're making some great points. And the fact is our newly coined term ufology, um, you know, has kind of, or I'm sorry, ufolitics, ufology plus politics is ufolitics. I think that really kicks in here because we're seeing a lot of that come into play here. And um, no, you're absolutely right. The fact is, is we have seen um, actual witnesses in the public kind of been brushed to the side when it comes to this topic. However, we are seeing this topic being taken to a whole nother level now by the government. And all that being said, the fact is that dozens of these whistleblowers have come forward um, to further in this uh, Substack article, have come forward, is not evidence of extraterrestrial life, nor a government conspiracy to cover up a retrieval or reverse engineering programs. And not all the whistleblowers may be reporting evidence of UAP. Some may be simply reporting illegal or unethical behavior reported to you to or through UAP programs. But the sources who some have asked to remain anonymous are all in position to know and told public.com that in addition to the whistleblowers reporting wrongdoing, between 30 to 50 government employees or contractors have gone to the DOD's All Anomaly Resolution Office or Arrow to offer testimony directly about UAPs specifically. And in a quote, some witnesses and whistleblowers are coming directly to Arrow, some to the DOD IG and some to the ICIG, and some directly to Congress. So it's looking like many have speculated uh, to whether Grush and other UAP whistleblowers or witnesses might be part of a USO government disinformation campaign. And so that is absolutely part of the conversation, but experts are being um, interviewed by public.com, and they say it is unlikely that the people waging a disinformation campaign would do it through the office of the inspector general, since doing so puts individuals at risk. And we know that means long-term uh, penalties, and so it's something to be considered there. Uh, the broader context, including... Grush's allegations, allegations, excuse me, previous reporting by public.com and the extraordinary legislation working its way through Congress. And so a former Pentagon appointee under Obama administration said, and to further the quote, I find it hard to believe that so many individuals would open themselves up to a significant legal jeopardy by willingly lying to Inspector General. So potentially, you know, there could be a massive conspiracy, but a lot of people in the know don't think so, Dave. So they kind of agree with you. But what we do need is more transparency and definitely much more for the public. You're absolutely right. And so hopefully not all of these um, 30 to 50 whistleblowers that we're hearing, some from outside of the government and in independent contractors' roles have come forward. And so maybe we will hear some of this in some of these public hearings we're supposed to be getting. Well, uh, let's hope so. Like I said, I, I don't mean to to sound like I'm the, the negative Nancy on these, on these hearings. I think they're great. I like hearing about them. I want to know more names. I want to hear their stories because the more we can publicize these whistleblower stories – 
the more this story gets out. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing, you know, and we need more. We need more people to come out and, and put their trust that they have humanity and this story getting into the public as their best intention. When we return on the UFO report with our good friend, little Timmy Senor, oh, we're going to get into encounters in Argentina. Senate has a plan for disclosure. What's this all about? We will be right back right after this. I thought we talked about a story earlier, and I'm not seeing it on here. Hmm. I could have totally just, you know, I've been cleaning my garage. (laughs) Our water heater took a dive. Oh, no. It's in a bad place in my garage, so I was cleaning my garage so that I could get a tech in there tomorrow. Yeah, no hot water tonight. Cold showers. Ooh. Woohoo. That's not fun. What were we talking about earlier? Hockey. That wasn't hockey. No, I forget. Oh, well. Maybe it'll come. I'm sure it will. Maybe it'll show up somewhere watching me you know how it goes dude I made Hungarian goulash never made it before it's so good with these little potato dumplings I made Mm -hmm. buddy so good definitely Gonna put that in the cycle. Family loved it. Yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Someone was like, "What are you bringing to the table?" And I'm like, "Hungarian goulash." <laughs> I still have this chest cold, though, man. I haven't kicked it yet. You need to put it's... some spice in your life. You need to put some. What spice do you recommend? In- I'm yeah. kind of an all-natural guy, unless well, I have to get antibiotics. Anything with capsicum in it. What? What, what is that? It yes. is it is a chemical, a natural chemical that is inside habanero and hotter peppers. Oh, dude. Yeah. And what it does is it flushes your system. This guy's recommending hot peppers. Dude, I got a, believe it or not, true story. In 2019, I had bronchitis for four and a half months. I was on two different puffers and three different pills, and nothing was shaking it. I went online, and I tried one of those naturopath, you know, what what works, what doesn't. I saw some bogus ones on there like hot lemon and and honey and crap that doesn't work for me. And number 5 like- number 5 on that list was capsicum. And um what capsicum does is it because of the heat that it creates from the pepper 
when it goes into your system, it burns and it melts out your mucus lining. That's that um, that and makes you, that's why you get a runny nose and you're coughing up phlegm and everything like that. And so, um, the one thing that when I read up on it about it was that it um, when it burns the mucus lining between the mucus lining and the lungs is where bronchitis, pneumonia, and COVID starts. So I started taking um, a shot in the morning and a shot in at night, just a teaspoon of my hot sauce. And it burned, man. It hurt. I'm not going to lie. It hurt. Okay? Four days, my bronchitis was gone. And when I told my doctor what I did to get rid of it, he actually, um, no, it was after that, uh, when, when COVID hit, he, he, cause he's a client of mine as well. Uh, he came up and he's like, so how are you protecting yourself? And this is before the mask mandate and the face diapers. Okay. And, uh, and I said, I'm, I, I regularly wash my hands. Number one, I said, number two, uh, I'm taking a lot of vitamin C and D. And I said, I also uh, take capsicum from hot sauce. And he looked me right in the eye and he went, ah, yes, capsicum. He looked me right in the eye and he said, you'll never get COVID. And I never got it. Nice. What's your favorite hot sauce that you swear by for this? Um, it's a... It's a Canadian one. It, it's Canadian. got it's got blueberries in it. It tastes really good. But it burns, <laughs> but it tastes really good. Uh, you can get it at Save On Foods if you're Canadian. All right, here we mm-hmm. go, everybody. Final half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you for joining us. My name is Dave Scott. Always appreciate earning your listening ears. Reminder to all of you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do me the favor. Hit that subscribe button. We're on every major podcast network, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and every podcast network in between. Our website, spacedoutradio.com, we have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news wire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Here we go. Tim Senor is back with the UFO report, and apparently some of the senators out there have a way to deal with UFOs, Tim? What's going on here? That's right, and News Nation has an article, and here's what's in it. It's offering the president giving 90 days to form an independent review board. Secondly, government agencies are going to have 300 days to turn over any UAP records. Thirdly, the board has 180 days to review 
records and 14 days to then release their findings. And so it, the Senate has passed an amendment that would force government agencies to hand over any records of UFOs within 300 days, and it would mandate the disclosure of those records to the public unless there's a compelling reason to keep them classified. And so, Dave, I'm going to kick this right back over to you because I am having an issue with my reader here. But you can see that they're making a very aggressive an aggressive attempt here to uh, winkle out, if you will, any UFO information um, that is pertinent at this time. And so it's an aggressive move by the Senate and what is your response if this is to happen? What's that going to look like? And um, have you heard potentially of anything that would be uh, repercussion if they fall outside any of these mandates? Well, what I'm hearing, I mean, this is a story that's just kind of been breaking over the last couple of days here regarding this this entire subject. And, you know, uh, with the amendment that passed in July, uh, we're waiting to see how it's written out in the National Defense Authorization Act for 2024. That should be coming up any time, you know. But the act does say, let's remember, the act does say uh, records or any type of material that has been recovered must be handed over within 300 days. Will that actually happen? You know, if if Lockheed and, let's see, Lockheed Skunk Works has pieces of craft, okay? Do you really think that with their pull, they're going to all of a sudden just hand it on over? Or are they going to play stupid and say, it was nothing, it was cobalt, it was manganese, it was lithium, it was titanium, or whatever it may be? Do you really think? I wouldn't hand it over. Not if my future of my military business was all a part of it. And I think a lot of these type of rules that we see coming through on orders like this, I think it's just chest beating, like a gorilla in the African forest, okay, where they are just beating their chest, but they're not doing anything about it. You know, this is one of those wait-and-see approaches to see how much pull the senators really have. Because remember, the Senate, since Gillibrand's, Senator Gillibrand's hearings, seems to have really backed off this topic a little bit, at least publicly. And the Congress, led by Tim Burchett, really seems to have taken over this subject. So I'm really not sure if Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer or anybody else, uh, I know he's teamed up with Senator Mike Round, so we got uh, bi-party, uh, bi- what's the word I'm looking at? Partisan. Bipartisan, thank you. Uh, representation here on seeing if this actually comes through. But I don't know, Tim. I don't trust it until I see it. We've heard too many secrets from the government, too many cover ups, you know, and let's face it, they want to control the narrative of how this comes out. They want to control the narrative of what is said and what isn't. They want to end any type of debate that the public may have. It's not about Congress, people. It's not about the Senate. It's not about government. It's about trying to end the conversation in the public. Because if the public starts speaking and people start believing that 
there are people getting abducted. There are people having encounters with UFOs. We have craft on them. We've remote viewed them, even on the moon. Those are secrets that some people are going to want to keep. Well, Dave, it's going to get interesting because while the agencies have 300 days to gather and turn over information, President Joe Biden has 90 days from when the act goes into effect to form an independent review board. So the president is directly involved in this chain. And so the nine-member board cannot include anyone connected to the existing UAP research or programs. They must be completely independent and has to include at least one national security officer, foreign service official, a scientist or engineer, an economist, a professional historian, and a sociologist. Once the agencies have turned over all of their information, the review board then has 180 days to investigate and then must publish its findings within 14 days after the investigation concludes. And so we're going to see that this is bipartisan and it's been sponsored by Senators Chuck Schumer, uh, Mike Rounds, and, uh, you know, as you were saying, it's in effort to bring more transparency to the subject and has definitely captured a lot of attention. Um, Now, we haven't really talked about this before, but this bill was definitely modeled Interestingly enough, after the the efforts to declassify the records regarding the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. True. And so it's very similar tactics to getting into that. Now, we know how that resulted. And so we are going to hopefully get a better result than that. And so um, go ahead if you have yeah, something to here, chip in. Here's here. the problem, Tim, because there's always a caveat. Okay. Here's the caveat. These offices that are being invited, including the president, the Department of National Defense, or Department of Defense, pardon me, all military branches, the Department of Energy, the DNI, the Library of Congress, and others, when they provide that information to whatever this review board is, guess who still retains ownership of the UAP records? It is those who provide them, which means, let's say, you know, the department of Tim Senor has some great information and UFO sightings and videos. You can present those to this new task force, whatever they're going to call it, because they'll probably disband arrow for this, but it never comes out. Because you can put on there a classified or a top secret stamp, and it's never going to see the public. So this entire thing that they are building again, it's going to be, if it if it goes through, it's going to be as untransparent as possible. Especially with these entities still holding ownership of the reports, of the videos, of the audio logs, of the photographs, etc. Where do we benefit? 
That's a tough question right there. And just a reminder, Tim, that on radio, nodding doesn't work. Well, no, I thought that that was uh, more rhetorical because you're absolutely right. Um, You know, we do need what they are striving for, what they say they are working towards, which is transparency. And we've had lots of promises of that. Now, let's see if they can deliver. Now, I'm right behind you with your skepticism. I'm going to give a quote here because Senator Rounds has said, our goal is to assure credibility with regard to any investigation or record-keeping of materials associated with unidentified anomalous phenomena. Relevant documents related to this issue should be preserved. Providing a central collection, location, and reputable review board to maintain the records adds to the credibility of future investigations. Great. Great. That's what should be done. But what access does the public have or the media have? Well, what about a researcher? Let's let's pick Richard Dolan or Grant Cameron. Would they have access to that? Would you or me, as part of Spaced Out Radio, have access to that? Who gets access to that information? And if it isn't the public, what's the point? We already know you've all gathered your information. Okay? We all know that you've already talked about it. We all know that NASA is lying. We already know this. So if you're putting it all together as a puzzle piece, great. Does the public get to share this information? If you are that concerned about the information that is going to come through on this, does the public not have a right to know? Because nowhere in these articles is are they are these politicians talking about transparency on this topic who gets access and just because i'm an elected official who knows nothing about ufo's i get access but you as as a reporter or a journalist or a researcher or a documentarian don't get access to it now there's a good chance that we are speaking before we're thinking here. And if that's the case, good on them. But I don't see this going public. I think what they're doing is they're building a proper arrow program where they will have control, not Sean Kirkpatrick, not Enigma Labs. And when they get copies of that information, they're just building another uh, another Roman Catholic library that nobody is allowed to have access to at the Vatican. You're literally speaking my mind right now. I was thinking Enigma Labs could potentially be the access point or the Arrow website, but you're literally you're speaking my mind. I mean, and the fact is, is that you have a deep understanding of how they've historically handled this along with a lot of the people that you work with. And so the fact of the matter is, is that your skepticism on programs like this is absolutely valid. Just look back at every other government-run program and how they've handled this, claiming transparency on this topic. And you can look at Blue Book as a perfect example. And so low expectations, high hopes. I agree. 
and nobody should be excited about this. Right? Nobody should be excited about it. We should be excited about the goal that they have if it even gets to that point. But until that information starts being released to the public, there's no point, right? We're creating stories on things, on toys that we'll never get to play with. I don't know about you, Tim. I'm 50 years old. I still go down the toy aisle at Walmart, okay? Because I want to see if there's anything that I want to, you know, play with. And it usually ends up in the Nerf gun section. I will say that. And, and except for that one time I got a, I bought myself a great white shark for my bathtub. Okay. These things happen. It does happen. Okay. But blocking access, I think we got to be more prepared for that and raise a voice against that than, you know, waiting and see. But that's all we can do is wait and see at this point, man. And actually, before you switch topics, um, the other thing that I find is incredibly frustrating on this is getting part of the story only. Whether it's David Grush, a whistleblower, part of the information from uh, special access programs, part of the information is really not helpful, to be quite honest, and sometimes quite distracting. So we need the full story, not just partial stories, and not um, just... Uh, a piece of information that leads us somewhere. Um, you can't just say it's as big as so, it's so big that it needs a building around it. Well, we need more details, you know, come on that. That's just ridiculousness to say out loud. But anyways, please um, back over to you and we can probably kick off our third. Yeah. Story let, let's, let, we've got about six minutes here. Let's get to our Perfect. final story of the night. Awesome. Argentina, September 5th, the tranquil coastal city of Blanca, Argentina became embroiled in a mystery that has left the local community baffled and raised concerns nationwide. Reports emerged of an alleged confrontation between the military and one or more unidentified flying objects at the Comandante Espora Naval Base, located at the outskirts of the city. And so the incident lasted approximately 23 minutes and has left the local population searching for answers. So the initial reports of the incident reached the Roswell Daily Record, and that's who I'm quoting from right now, through a series of videos and audio recordings captured by alarmed residents. Testimonies from residents in the vicinity of the base claim to have heard gunfire in the sky from dusk until nightfall, and this initially didn't raise too much attention. However, the situation took a drastic turn when the base's commander issued a statement denying any excuse me denying any incident and asserting that it was a scheduled training exercise and so looking further into this um, they commissioned a study and they looked a little bit deeper into some of the details that transpired and it further fueled some more testimonies that came forward and more videos that were shared by residents and so it looked like more evidence accumulated to form in the form of security camera footage, audio recordings from eyewitnesses and statements from military personnel. And so the situation becomes increasingly more perplexing. Additionally, reports emerge from individuals within the base claiming to have witnessed an unidentified object stationed over the munitions area 
and that shots were fired at that UFO. Witnesses also claimed that that object fired a beam in response to being shot at, resulting in injuries to several soldiers. So unofficial accounts speak not of one, but of four unidentified objects apparently strategically positioned in relation to the base. And so this raised the possibility that the incident was much more than a routine military exercise. So there are other uh, bits of information that came forward, but um, some people say there were even uh, there was even a helicopter that was scuttled at the same time to get um, another uh, view on it. However, citizens and officials, along with uh, famous photographers, came forward um, with evidence and firsthand uh, witness stories. And so UFO phenomenon continuing to show its face. And Dave, this is actually not that long ago that this took place. Um, This was just September 5th that this took place. So um, fresh news coming from Blanca, Brazil, and um, reports of interaction potentially with a UFO over a base and personnel firing at it and it firing beams that potentially injured military personnel. Big stuff coming from South America. Brand new UFO story. What are your thoughts? Two things. One's a positive, one's a a question mark. Okay. Why do these stories from South America seem so graphic compared to the bland pea soup that we get up here? You know, I mean, they are... This is where I I want to believe this is happening, Tim. I really do want to believe, you know, because South America gets, seems to get all the bad aliens that want to fight humans. It's all we ever hear. Brazil, Argentina, you know, Peru, you know, with the mantids recently. And, and yet they are so graphic in detail about everything that goes on. It's almost like it's pre-scripted. And trust me, I want to believe this is going on. And if it is going on, Tim, we need to book a plane and go down there and check it on out. All right? Uh, Even if we got to sit in the coach, okay, or in the cargo bay or wherever. But don't, don't you find that odd that how graphic all of these stories are coming out of South America regarding this subject compared to what we get up here? And to me... That makes it hard to believe. It really does. I don't want it to, but it does. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think that stories get heavily sanitized in, you know, North America and further north. Um, Just simply because, um, you know, if it's going to be put out into media, it's going to end up being... Uh, put into rag magazines, a story like this, not a newspaper or taken seriously. And so this story coming from RDR News is a reputable reporting agency. And so for a story like this to come forward, um, you know, there must be some substance to it. Now, um, this is also um, something that also happened back in 1995. They had a very similar situation at the same base. And the then Uh, President Bill Clinton decided to try to declassify the secret files from the CIA. 
and interestingly, was not able to. Tim Seenor, another great UFO report. Thank you for hanging on out with us tonight. As we got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at work, at home, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAB, Facebook, Spreaker, LinkedIn, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter or X at Spaced Out Radio. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us because together, my friends, we're watching. We own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Sheets are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night. Good night.